let's just jump right into it. This is the ericswanracing.com podcast. I got Mallory Dobbs in the house tonight. Thanks for talking to me for an hour or so. And so yeah. I've just moved to Las Vegas. So trying to set up all this is the first time podcasting in a new place. So I'm not using my microphone and my my good camera. Uh, I wanted to start and not delay it too much. So my other computer is trying to restart in the background. I'm like, I'll just use this one. Screw it, whatever. Um, you know, I did this podcast for a long time with no external microphone or camera. So your setup looks better than mine right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got, I used to do streaming in another previous life on Twitch. I have playing video games. So like Very I good. used to have a setup and then I kind of just like ditched it. So same thing. I'm just on like over my work laptop with like an external camera and sure. my Bose headphones. <laughs> well, you look beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> so tell everybody what you're into, what you're doing at the racetrack. So many things. Uh, yeah, uh, this year has been crazy. So already, uh, I mean, the season hasn't even started yet, but I'm headed to Daytona um, this week. So awesome. I'll be racing uh, super hooligans there at Daytona. So I'm not actually doing the 200. Um, but I think we're already planning for next season of doing super sport, like doing the actual 200. But uh, yeah, so my big goal is this year doing super sport and super hooligans full season. So as everybody knows, but America has been crazy, crazy expensive and a oh, big yeah. endeavor for a lot of people. So uh, it's one of those things of like, I'm hoping for it and I'm, I'm trying to work my ass off to try to get support and, you know, just all my ducks in a row and the logistics of all it is a nightmare. Like it's just so hard to plan it all and like talk to all the people and figure out transport and flights and who's working. And it's, no one talks about any of that stuff and it's a challenge. It's a lot going so, on. And, uh, so how long have you been racing for? How long have you been going to the track? Uh, I started riding motorcycles in 2016. Um, I rode for about six months, and then I went to my first track day. Um, and then I met a bunch of people that were like, you should get into racing. And apparently I thought that that would be a great idea. So uh, <laughs> I started racing in 2017 in Washington, so with Wimra. And kind of just did it for fun, you know, as a hobby. It was like doing it on the weekends, hanging out with your friends drinking at night, you know, all those things and socializing. Yeah. And uh, then when Moto America came to the Ridge, I was like, I kind of want to try that, you know, like the national level sounds fun. Yeah. And so I uh, kind of just made up my goal and really worked my butt off for the past two years and um, did Moto America for the first time last year in 2022. Awesome. And uh, so you did track days for a little while, did some amateur racing, and now you're a full-on professional? Something like that. <laughs> Sounds I keep like, trying to tell myself. Sounds, sounds like it only took a couple of years for you, for you to make that jump. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really quick compared to some. And, you know, it was one of those things of like, I kind of just like put my mind to it and then just went for it. Um, and I tell a lot of people, I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter if you start late in life in motorcycles, if you put your mind to it, you totally do it. So it's hard not to get a little discouraged when you have those like punk kids, you know, going around you, but you try you know so they're 10 years younger and they're smoking you yeah and you're just like well that's you know they've been doing it since they could walk so i guess it's my excuse <laughs> yeah. and uh i hear that it's actually easier to ride a motorcycle than it is to ride a bicycle as a young child because the pedaling kind of screws people up when you have a throttle it's much easier i mean i guess that makes sense I yeah know. i yeah. rode quads as a kid so we did like four wheelers more than dirt bikes or anything like that Okay. Yeah. The first time I got on a, a quad, I was like, how come it doesn't twist? It does, I can't accept yeah, it. Thumb. Thumb. I didn't realize that until a couple of years ago. Yeah. 
and you're hit you're like thumb cramps after a while and you have to use like your palm because you're like thumb yeah so this is a 130th esr podcast so uh it's it's been an evolution my life has been changing since i started talking to people and that's actually kind of why i moved out to vegas i talked to travis wyman for a little while and uh you know i asked him well how did you get into coaching i want to do that stuff and he said well I bet you probably could. I mean, you just have you asked anybody to do it? And around me, it was always free, unpaid coaching. You get free track time. So I was like, well, I don't really want to do that. I mean, free track time, it's cool, but it's not a job. You know, it's like a it's a hobby job. It's a fun thing that <laughs> hobby job, not a career. So yeah. I was like, well, maybe there are companies that you can actually make money being a coach. So I turned into a full time racing coach for cars and motorcycles. I work for a company. Ooh. Speed Vegas, Exotics Racing, and we have a fleet of 30 to 40 supercars, depending on which ones are in the shop or not. Um, but we do Porsche, Lamborghini, Aston Martin, Acura, Audi. Um, there is the, the Nissan, the Ford, um, and so many other brands that are great. So doing that pretty much every day. And then I'm also working. Uh, I'll be starting with California Superbike School. Uh, this weekend, uh, being on a BMW S1000RR. So super excited. Giving back some of my knowledge and turning it into a career. Yeah, that's awesome. So what you're saying is I have a hookup to race some, it's like supercar at some point. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Uh, I'm coaching right now in the Nissan GTR, the Porsche GT4 and the GTS, although GTS GTS is in the shop right now. So just those two, um, you start at tier one and you progressively go up the ladder up to tier six or seven uh tell you the ferraris and the, and the mclarens nice that's cool heck yeah so yeah if you're ever in vegas or anybody watching is in vegas hit me up and uh get some coaching heck yeah yeah that's awesome i definitely like i feel like the coaching gig is always like super rewarding but it's also really hard to find a job that can do that you know so i do a little bit of coaching and motorcycle stuff on the side i work for two fast track days up here um, in Washington. And I mean, like work, we volunteer, right? So I, I coach and um, we're starting to do more one-on-one coaching um, this year. They've been trying to transition a little bit more of our program to do more one-on-ones. So like the coaches can actually make a little bit more money and like make it worth their time, you know, versus spending all the, all the consumables out there, you know, as much as I love giving back to the sport, it's, you know, I still have a day job and all that jazz. So like yeah. I've been, <laughs> I work eight to five as a civil engineer doing design and development work and uh, doing some, you know, like commercial residential development. And so I do that by day and then I come home and I do race program stuff basically, you know, in the evenings and it's like basically two full-time jobs, but. Oh, definitely. The other other job doesn't pay very good. (laughs) (laughs) It's all uh, expense right now. Basically. Yeah. 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 That's the hardest part about racing I found is just funding it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I didn't have a problem. Like, it's funny because it, when you like change the perspective of like doing the professional circuit, right. You do start doing Moto America and it's like the person, like you, you start spending more and more money and you don't really realize that you're, you're doing it kind of. And then at some point, like now that I'm doing the full super sport season, you know, and all that, I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm like, man, I remember when I like thought spending like $500 in a race weekend was like a lot of money. <laughs> and here I'm spending like thousands of dollars. I'm like, yeah, this hurts. This hurts. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the financials? Um, you know, I can cut anything out that you don't want to talk about or that's <laughs> in there. Um, but like you're talking usually for a full competitive season with a crew 
and a semi-truck um, and a <laughs> every race. You're talking five, six figures a season. Easy. Yeah. And I mean, even, even if you don't call it like, so like for me, I'm not planning on a semi and not planning on maybe full crew. Right. So you talk about like, you've seen like videos of like Stefano Mesa, you know, swapping tires on hot pit. That's going to yeah. be me. Right. Like that's me doing my privateer of like, let me cut some couple thousands of dollars on crew and just like do some stuff myself, you know, sling some tires, do some wheels, whatever. And uh, yeah, but you're still talking. I mean, the budget really, a lot of people are talking about is, you know, 10 to $15,000 a weekend and there's nine race rounds mm -hmm. and you know, it's, yeah, it adds up quick. And so, you know, that's season you don't entries, crash, right. That's no. Yeah. Crash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not even budgeting. If you just like totally bend the thing, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of, you know, time and effort and, and money to be there. And so anybody that's really at Moto America, like regardless of if they're a backmarker, you know, or not, I mean, props for them for getting there. Cause it's not an easy feat. So. Yeah. I know yeah. one personally who I used to race with, who's uh, in the super bike or super stock class. And he sold, he said he sold his house for this season and he's, he's renting now. I'm like, well, I mean, that's one way to do it. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people do that, right? You hear all these stories of like people that are living in their motorhomes or trailers. Cause they're like, well, at least if I travel, you know, and do all this stuff, I can like pay for racing. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, Oh man. Yeah. I think like if I have to pay for the full season myself, you know, and, like don't have any support along the way, like it's a two or three year endeavor for me. And then I'm out. I'm going to be like, yeah. I did about America. It was great. See you guys <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah. Like it's this, Nah, I mean, at that point, you know, you're just spending thousands and thousands of dollars to, I mean, make great memories and do cool stuff and compete and, you know, try to win, obviously, but there's other things in life too, you know? For sure. And so uh, you probably have some support by now with all your accolades and, and races. Oh yeah, here and there. So I'm wearing my, repping my Ducati Richmond hoodie. Nice. Um, they are, they are signed on this year for our Super Hooligans program. So Doreen there at Ducati Richmond, she's uh, owned that dealership for about 10 years and loves to give back to the sport and obviously loves supporting females. And so we're kind of making the, the women's powerhouse team, you know, here in the Americas with the Super Hooligans stuff, which is obviously like a fun class anyway, and not necessarily as competitive. I mean, it is, but it's still Moto America, but it's kind of like the misfits. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're trying that out this year and, and that's, it's been great to have them on board. They've their team there has been so good for me. And like we built the bike in eight days. Um, so it got delivered. It got held up in customs because Canada didn't want us to temporarily import it. Um, mm. for all because yeah, Canada and the United States don't really talk very well. Yeah. Um, so it took like three months to get the thing in and we got it February 8th, I think. And we were leaving for Chukwala the following weekend. So following week. So uh, Chris and Sarah Lobkovich at CW Moto, who has like a super bike team this year um, and had a stock 1000 team last year. Uh, they built the bike for me in, in literally a week. And what we did with it was nothing short of amazing, you know. So besides like any engine work, since we didn't really have time, I mean, like it was so, like I couldn't do this alone. And so getting that support, you know, those people on board has been something that's really like kept me going because it is a very discouraging sport sometimes when you're crashing or just things aren't going right. And I don't know. It's just like, you just end up managing a lot of people and working with a lot of people and networking and talking, which I guess for me is like good. Cause I'm all right at that, but yeah. Yeah. It comes a lot. And so tell me about crashing. What's that like? <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. 
would not recommend zero of 10. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I've had my fair share of those. Uh, I've only ever broken my collarbone, uh, broke oh, it in places. Yeah. Turn one at the Ridge prior to the chicane. Um, uh, when I was still like a novice, it was like my second year riding and yeah, crashed at like whatever, hundred and some miles an hour off the front straight and only managed to break my collarbone. It's not too bad. But yeah, so luckily, knock on wood, I have yet to break anything else. I got a pretty bad concussion a year and a half ago, I think, knocked myself out, was unconscious for a good 30 seconds, couldn't remember anything. Went to sleep on the racetrack? Yeah, underneath my motorcycle. Oh, yeah, no. so like I, there was a guy in front of me that like didn't, like tried to blow the chicane, but didn't want to because he didn't want the time penalty. So he just overslowed to make the second part of the chicane. I misshifted. I went all the way down to first and the bike's like screaming and I'm like, Oh God. So I look down, I shift to second really quick. And then as I transition to the second part of the chicane, he's like in the apex going like 15 miles an hour slower than I am. And my brake lever guard didn't work and it hit his fairing mm -hmm. and just like endowed me. I just like face planted into the ground. Yeah. yeah. So honestly, I would say breaking a bone was better than getting a concussion. Like that whole process of like, Cause I'm an engineer. So I sat at my computer screen all day and I was like, Hey, can I go to work tomorrow? And he was like, I'm going to give you a doctor's note. You can't. And I was like, Oh, I think I can. And I went to my work meeting and like my brain started hurting automatically. Like, Nope. And I yeah. slept all day the next day. And then I had like mood swings and all sorts of stuff for like weeks afterwards. Like it was no joke. Head injuries are by far the worst or the scariest thing. Cause everyone's yeah. dead. And uh, some person can hit their head and be completely fine. The next one, they can't speak right. You know, it's uh, it's a scary thing. That's your computer. You bruise your computer. You know, you can't think straight. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty scary. Like that was not enjoyable. Uh, yeah. Like my collarbone was like no big deal. And then doing that was not, not fun. Right. And bones heal stronger than they were before they were broken. So uh, uh, even stronger. Right. Yeah. I still got a plate in mine. So I don't know how much stronger it really is, but so far yeah. so good. Very good. And uh, any road rash at all? Like people think that most of the time when you crash on, uh, people have no idea for for the most part. Like we, I talked to one person and they said, uh, oh man, do you wear a helmet out there? I'm like, yes, of course. You have to wear full <laughs> boots, gloves, helmet, everything. Like, oh wow, I didn't know that. I'm like, well, yep. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that was like, yeah. So I, when I went for my concussion, they were like, um, they asked me, I was like, oh, I was in a motorcycle accident. And they were like, what? You don't have any road rash. Like, how are you in a motorcycle accident? And I was like, oh, yeah. I was in like full gear at the racetrack, you know? Yeah. Um, but they, I mean, the doctors didn't even realize like, oh, at the racetrack, they're in like full gear, you know? Yeah. But I think, I mean, that like underlying issue in our, in our sport of like, people just don't understand or know what we even do. Like there, it's not like NASCAR where everybody like goes and tailgate parties, you know, at NASCAR and, you know, you've got all these people and hundreds of thousands of fans and, everybody knows nascar and then you like sit there and say like oh i road race and they're like you race on the road like with people <laughs> and like i'm like no like and then like what about or like you are you on the dirt and you like i'm like no like you know you have to like describe to them like a closed course asphalt pay like those are the questions they ask because it's like not as like road racing is not as popular as like any other motorsports stuff you know yeah. but in my opinion it's way cooler than nascar oh yeah for sure yeah, it's way cooler. And it's just like, I don't know if it's because it's like more relatable because people drive like more people drive cars. So they know how cars work and not everybody races or rides motorcycles. So then like they just don't relate. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I think it has a big uh, thing to do with just our culture, because when you're 16, most people get a car. 
Um, it's very few people who get a motorcycle when they're 16. And it's actually right. um, most people, their parents don't want them to have a bike. But in other countries, it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you have a bike? It's cheaper. It's more economical. We can get around to carry 4,000 pounds. We can carry a tenth of that weight and get there with yep. gas. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, in other countries, they don't let women ride motorcycles either. So. Was that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was, I can't remember. It was like India or something, but some guy messaged me on Instagram once. and was like, they don't let women in our country race, like ride <laughs> motorcycles. It's so cool. And I was like, oh man. Maybe like Oof. Libya or Qatar or something. I don't know. I didn't ask any questions. I didn't respond. I was like, I don't know. That's kind of yeah. weird. I, know, Thanks, I never that Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how do you feel about women in motorcycle in motorsports in general and motorcycle racing? Um, do you want to have a specific women's class or are you happy to mix it up with the men? Uh, no, I'm happy to mix it up with the men. I think that like, I don't, I mean, I get that like, you know, people would say like, well, you know, women aren't as, you know, capable because they're smaller or this or that. But like, I don't necessarily feel like we need to do that. And, and women in motorsports is, is difficult as, enough as it is. Like um, I have raced in all female race classes in our local rounds. Right. So like um, Washington and California, uh, they have racing classes that are just the females and it's normally a little cattier or a little bit more interesting than even just like the, you know, mixed class races. But, uh, I think this sport is, is, and I've had a lot of conversations about this. Cause like, I mean, I am a little bit of a feminist, but I'm not like sitting here going like, you know, berating people for what they say. But like, I realized that even for me, like, you know, I'll be in a race and some guy will pass me and he'll come up to me and be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, dude, it was a nice pass. Like, why are you apologizing? Like if you did that to Joe Schmo down the way, you wouldn't have said, sorry. You would have been like, Hey, nice, nice job, man. You know? Yeah. And like, I get it. You think that I'm probably sensitive, but like in order for me to be here, I can't be sensitive. Like, you know, yeah. like all the women in them, this motorsports industry, like if they're badasses and they don't need you coming over to apologize to say like, Oh, sorry. Like, right. no, we don't care. <laughs> and so it's just like those kind of nuances that like, I don't really pick up on. And so like some days I think about it and I'm like, Oh, like I'm just used to that, you know? And then like the constant, you know, obviously the men wanting to help all the, the girls out and, you know, for the wrong reasons or all the unsolicited advice and yeah, you know, the list goes on and on. It's, not easy for us and like you know some people try to tell me like oh it must be so easy for you to get support and like you know all this stuff because you're a girl and you're a minority and I'm like I mean yeah kind of but also I still like I, it's not like I'm just sitting here waiting around for people to give me stuff like I'm still reaching out and doing all the work and it, I hate the fact that anyone diminishes that from me you know like oh well you're just a girl in this sport so that's why you get all this free stuff like mm, thanks man it's not because i'm nice or charismatic or like you know working my ass off over here like nah it's just because i'm a girl like mm, no. i hate that I yeah hate i it. hear that for sure it's got to be tough um you know i've been beat by a girl and i'm not ashamed to say it <laughs> yeah i mean like it's not something we need to be like we need to even single out right i'm just like oh i've been beat by a girl yeah yeah I mean, I kind of liked her having having uh, her in front of me. It was a good view. That's what, that's what a lot of people say. They're like, well, it's not too bad of a view. I'm like, okay, well, right. <laughs> sure. No, but it was good. It, it made me push harder. It was like, uh, not that she's anything less than a man. It's just different. It's like, it's, I'm used to seeing a woman in front of me on the racetrack. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a good thing to see. I, I want more women to be in the sport. Yeah. And that's kind of one of my goals of like riding and, and just sharing a lot of my journey, right? Is like, I like, I love 
nothing more than to get the messages from other women in the sport that say like, you inspire me to keep going, to try harder, to not let these things happen to me and get discouraged. Like that warms my heart. You know, like that is what keeps me like my passion alive of like, I'm doing this and people are looking up to me and I get to like also make my dreams come true, you know? Yeah. And it's something I really enjoy. Cause yeah, I mean, there's so, so many women out there that have like started or didn't start because there's men in their life that didn't motivate them or told them like, ah, oh, you can't do that. That's too hard. Or, you know, all this stuff. Like I hear it all like, Oh no, she'd be terrible at riding motorcycles. They're like, Oh no, I don't want her to get hurt. Like you can race. Cause you can get hurt. You know, like all of that stuff. And, and then so many women are just like, ah, you know, I just, I'm just going to be here to support. I'm like, I love that. But also if you want to do it, like you should do it. Yeah. So it's not a sport that requires immense physical strength. Yes. You have to be strong. Yes. You have to have endurance, but I think that women compete can compete just as well as men. It's more of a, of a mental sport, I'd say, than a physical sport because it's such a difficult thing to get over your fears and to push those mm -hmm. limits, to find the limit of traction. Um, I think it's way more difficult mentally than it is physically. Yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely a little bit of both, right? Like, as women, we're kind of a little disadvantaged of, like, I have a really hard time with, like, upper body strength um, and being able to, like, not get fatigued. What's <laughs> up, buddy? My Luna, Cat Luna, she's saying hi. Cute. Cute. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, there is, yeah, the mental aspect of, like, the, like, and I've had conversations with, like, Pridmore, I think about this, of, like, you know, women approach racing differently than men, right? Because it's, like, not as much of an ego thing, and, like, they can kind of be a little bit more logical versus, like, the men is just like, oh, I gotta go beat him, you know? like. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a little bit of that, too, but. I mean, everybody, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, right? Whether or not you're male, female, whatever, like gender aside, like we're all different racers. We're all different people just trying to do the same thing. Yeah. And I would say you don't have to race anymore to go to the racetrack. You can do track days. You can do um, open practice sessions where you get, you know, 20 minutes, usually at a time every hour, yeah. come in for a break, uh, collect your thoughts, ask some questions, talk to the coaches. Um change your tires, put your warmers back on and, uh, you know, five to seven sessions or 20 minutes a day. That's a lot of riding. And there's no, yeah. there's no minivans. There's no sand. There's no animals. Usually, um, mm -hmm. usually everybody's going the same direction. So you don't have to worry about anybody pulling out in front of you. Um, yeah. it's the best place to, to practice your skills. And it was so funny. I was just getting dinner at the bar and this guy goes, I didn't even say a word. Uh, he was talking to the bartender. He's like, I've been racing for 20 years, all this stuff. I'm like, no, no, he hasn't. I could just look at him like, no, no way. And so he's like, yeah. Um, I asked him, so what racetracks do you go to? He's like, oh, I'm just a street racer. I'm like, oh, okay, right. You don't know what you're oh. doing, sir. Yep. So yeah, I gave him my card. I'm like, hey, if you want to ever want to come to the racetrack and get some real coaching, uh, I'll show you what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny, too, because those people, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, like, I, I'm i so fast in the street, and you're just like, I don't, when, after you've been at the racetrack and you've learned a bunch, you're, like, not impressed, for one, and for <laughs> yeah. two, you're like, you go to the racetrack, and you're going to be humbled, sir, like, That's... it's not what you think, like, you get there, and you're just like, oh, I'm so fast, like, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it bothers me sometimes, and people, like, we, so, like, when, uh, so I've been coaching with Too Fast for a couple of years, and and sometimes we get one of those guys that comes in and it's like, oh yeah, I, I'm the fastest one of my group of my street rides, and you know, dragging knee in the in the canyons, and you know, blah blah blah. And you're like, mm, okay. And so Mark, Mark will typically like put me, the owner of the tractor company will put me 
with one of those guys yeah as their instructor because they show up and then they're like oh yeah i'm like so fast and you're like (laughs) i'm like hi how's it going uh let's go out and then they're like oh it it breaks them you know it's like they're like oh and then they try to like impress me other crash i'm like all right dude now you're making me look bad because you just crashed yeah and like it's it's been pretty funny there's been a couple of those that just like won't even like one of them quit like halfway through the day he's like i'm done I can't do yeah. this anymore. <laughs> yeah, he was just like so mad because he didn't feel like he was like learning. I don't even know. Like he just felt like he couldn't take it to his ego. Yeah. Like, hey man, we're all just trying to learn. I'm not trying to like belittle you. Like I'm just sitting here trying to teach you. Like don't look at me and say like, well, you don't know anything because sure. you're a girl. Right. And so uh, the the sport bike coaching that I do is more of a riding school. The the sports cars or the exotic racing that I do for cars is. We call it a, a driving experience. It's not really a racing school. So mm-hmm. two very different things. Um, one of them, you get you know a full track day, essentially, with 20-minute, five 20-minute classroom sessions. And the other one, you get 15, 20-minute classroom session, five to 10 laps in the car, and that's about it. Um, mm-hmm. It's coaching that's done in the car. But most people, it's their first time ever at a racetrack. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I, well, I've been driving for 20 years. I know how to drive. Like, yeah, <laughs> drive to work. You don't know how to drive on the racetrack. And I had one guy today. He was like, man, I thought I was a way better driver than that. <laughs> and you're like, well, at least you admit it, you know, you're learning. <laughs> yeah. And I found uh, in the past, uh, I've worked at the Speed Vegas now for 38 days and I've coached 376 students or so, something like wow. that. So anywhere from five to 18 a day, it seems like. And I would say without a shadow of a doubt, most women are better learners than men. Not always faster, but they mm-hmm. can learn quicker and apply that deep those details. Mm-hmm. Where the men, they're like, I know how to do this. Don't tell me what to do. And they they're they have a harder time grasping it and actually applying it because mm-hmm. the women typically have less experience. So they're willing to take on new information. And the men, they're like, they can't learn. Uh, not they <laughs> can't but they don't want to and it's, it's yeah. frustrating like that guy who's mm-hmm. uh you know i thought i was a better driver i must have said break harder like 50 times you know break harder more pressure. like push that pedal down further to the floor more 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 break harder you know i don't know how how else to say it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's i feel like that's definitely true i've i've worked with so i worked with jason pridmore a lot as my coach and and he he's like, I love coaching you. He's like, because I'll be like, Mallory, try this. And then you just go out there and you try it. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, if I'm paying for you or you're taking the time to like teach me something, why would I not be like, mm, I don't know. Mm, I'm not going to try that because I don't. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for telling me that, but I'm not going to use it. You know, like, yeah, no, thanks. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's just like, I think, yeah, women are better at that sometimes. It's, just, it's that ego thing, right? Like we all have it. We all have to learn to use it or not use it. So I think it's also a little bit about uh, how our brains are wired. Like once you have a pathway, you have a bad habit. You do that bad habit over and over and over and over. That's your normal Mm -hmm. line now. And now to undo all that effort, you have to come all the way back to zero before (laughs) building up a new habit. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of women, they don't have the bad habits because they don't have that ingrained experience. Yeah. I feel like that was just like Atomic Habits book, like summarized in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I read that book actually a couple of years. It's a good book. It's a yeah. good book. So, are you a reader? 
uh, when I have time. I'm yeah. trying to. One of my resolutions this year was to read more books. So I'm. I've been reading Atomic Habits. I think I'm like halfway through, and then I read a book or like listened to an audio book about like anxiety, yeah. and you know just some stuff like that. And then I've actually just downloaded like a nonfiction book because I really do miss like reading for enjoyment. You know, of like not just self improvement, but also just like for fun. Yeah. So I used to read a lot when I was a kid. Read like Harry Potter and you know Chronicles of Narnia and all yeah. that stuff when I was a kid. Fantasy kind of kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There was like some murder mystery ones. You know, like I don't know, like Girl on the Train. Like I like read quite a bit of like nonfiction stuff. Yeah, I always see the guy in school who would never read the books for class and then just look up <laughs> notes five minutes before the test. <laughs> It wasn't until I got out of school that I really started reading um, because I didn't have to read the crap I didn't want to read. I was starting to read the things I wanted to read. And yeah, I got too much into the fiction. I like reading like the nonfiction and and learning about self-improvement or like motivational stuff or finance. And now I'm finding all these books about um, motorsport technique, which some some people would find very boring, but I'm... (laughs) Like, give me all the information and techniques possible. I want to learn these things and apply them. I just got two new books. I think it's by Ross Bentley. Um, it's called Speed Secrets, the ultimate race car, race driving thing. So it's for sports cars and open wheel. And uh, being a motorsports coach, I'm trying to soak all yeah. this in so I can give it to my students. And uh, trying to get them to understand that it's not always, your controls are not a light switch. It's a dimmer switch. It's, it's extremely, off. it's not an on off switch, please. <laughs> oh my goodness. On off. <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah. how do you, uh, how do you try to relate to your students? What, what are some of the techniques you try to impart on them? Um, you know, it, it really kind of varies, but I think one of the biggest things is like, you know, when I start out at it with a student, I'm always like, okay, like check your ego at the door. You're not trying to impress me. I'm just trying to teach you because yeah. I find that a lot of people are just trying to like show like any coach, right. What they know. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I mean, yeah, I want to know what you know, you know, but I also don't need you to show me more than like go above and beyond what you need to know, you know? And a lot of times it's just building up that confidence in themselves of just like, here's something to apply. And like, it's so hard to pick a thing, you know, of like, there is like so much knowledge that you can teach them like, Oh, what about like trail breaking? And, you know, like, where's your body positioning at? And like, you know, where's your reference points and your break markers and like all of a sudden, if they never been to a racetrack, you spend half the day just teaching them how to go around the racetrack and then how to learn how to, you know, look at the corners and like see what they're doing and how they work. And, you know, so, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I teach on like beginners is like, Oh, it like is always with their eyes. I'm like, Hey, work on your eyes. Don't stare at the ground. Like you're going 60 miles an hour and you're looking like two feet ahead of you in the pavement. And I can see it. Cause you're like, Oh, <laughs> like, just look up and go that way. Like I showed horses when I was a kid. So uh, I did a lot of like, you know, if you look, the horse will go where you look because when you look your hips move, um and like as far as like a whole like rotation of like the horse can feel like you're looking in a different direction and they can use that you know and I feel like as much as like it's not as applicable to motorcycles and that like you can look where you want to go on the motorcycle it's not going to like feel you moving yeah. to look but uh it does work as far as like you will go that direction if you're looking there right and that's applicable to any motorsports of like you just got to use your eyeballs yeah they say so. that your visual acuity is only three degrees of your vision 
So you can only see a very small amount uh, in focus. You have to look where you're going. If you don't look, mm-hmm. you end up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, you're a little bit of a horse girl then? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take whatever you know about horse girls, I guess, and apply it here. But uh, yeah, I uh, showed horses. I got my first horse when I was like 10. Um, and I showed horses competitively across the country until like, I was like 24 or something. Like when I started getting into motorcycles, I kind of wasn't doing it as much. And then I didn't think that I could find a more expensive hobby other than horses, but then I found it with motorcycles. So, uh, I kind of had to like put the horse stuff on the back burner. So my horse is getting up there. I think he's, uh, 17 or 18 this year. So he's getting kind of in his teenage years, but I've had him since he was four and, uh, He's basically my child. And so I still have a horse and I still go out there and see him from time to time. But uh, yeah, I kind of went to the world show. I did the national level with horses and then it was kind of like, well, now what do I do? You know? And so I was going to, I bought another horse as a project horse right when I started doing more motorcycle stuff. And then I realized that I just kind of wanted to switch gears and try something different and then did motorcycle, like did the motorcycle stuff instead. So. All right. Very good. Is that like a Clydesdale or uh, what kind of uh, I did performance, like pinno performance. So pinnos are just horses with spots, mainly in the simplified version. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, performance is similar to like dog shows where like you go around and look pretty. And there's like classes that are based on how your horse moves. And then there's classes that are based on like how you ride and you get scored or judged by a judge like you basically pay money for someone to judge you (laughs) and it's like it's like that there's a bunch of memes about it but it's like whenever like people are like you can't hurt a horse girl's feelings because we literally pay someone to judge us all the time like I'm basically paying for someone's opinion of me and my horse and then there are times that like you can have an amazing horse that's like per the book you know and then some judge is going to be like "Mm, I don't like that color or whatever it's probably not like that but they sure. it seems like it sometimes and then you just don't get judged at all and then you just have a shitty weekend uh-huh. you know so that's happened more times than not and that was my life so switching to motorsports was kind of cool because it was like there's no like gray area of judging it's like you either win or you don't win <laughs> you know like it's whoever crosses the line first yeah that's so. one thing i really like about motorsports is that it's very um uh, what's the word there's always a number associated to how you did. Like, mm-hmm. did you improve from last time? Are the condition, conditions the same? Is it rainy? You know, uh, you'll never win a race by accident. Like, like in <laughs> stick and ball sports, you could personally have a great game, but your team lost terribly. And it's like, well, I did the best I could. You know, it's mm-hmm. different. I mean, yeah, you do have a crew in motorsports, but it's you on the machine and only you yeah. making it go around the track. So it's uh, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility, you know. Like my my crew chief, so Chris at CW Moto, and I talk a lot about this. Of like, you know, the rider has one job, and he's like, "Why is it so hard for you guys not to crash?" And I'm like, "Oh, I mean, it's hard, okay." And he's like, "It's not that yeah. hard." Right. He's like, "All of my work just gets thrown out the window, and then I got to start over." And I was like, "Well, job security." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like. For sure. So yeah. what's something that you are working on as a rider uh, or a racer to to get better at? Is there one aspect or multiple that you're trying to improve on? Um, Breaking. Breaking? <laughs> so so I have really good uh, 
I'm really great on exits and really great on the throttle. And I have really great like rear tire feels. Like if the rear starts to go, you know, it's like, I'm comfortable with that. I have terrible front end feel and I have zero confidence in my front tire. And I just like always over brake. And so basically I like go in, I'm like, ee, and then I'm like, yeah. And then it's just like, yeah, and I'm like out of the corner. And so like, it's one of my not so strong suits that I've been working on for the past couple of years. Um, it comes and goes. It depends on, you know, how I'm feeling. I've had a couple of crashes recently of tucking the front mm. and mostly just my fault of like, you know, too much brake pressure at the apex or, you know, trying to add, yeah, add brake pressure while trying to hold the apex, you know? And it's like, I mean, like, I know it's happening and like, or letting off the brake too fast at the apex and washing out the front and like driving it out, you know? And so I know what's happening and it's, it's good. Cause I feel like that's how you come back from crashes better is if you know, what you did wrong rather than like, I don't know what happened and now I'm scared. So, uh, yeah, I've just been trying to build some confidence back in my riding ability and really just try to work on that braking stuff. So sure, it's always it's a work a in progress. It's a complicated thing. You know, uh, I like to tell the students, like we only have a hundred percent of traction. That's the idea, right? If we're using 80% returning, we can't add 30% on the brakes. We have to release one. Yep. Of them. Otherwise we'll go over that number of traction. Um, yep. and so are you, you're saying you're over, you're over slow. So you're breaking too much essentially. Uh, yeah, typically I'm like not building. So like all my brake marker will be, you know, 20, 30 feet sooner than other people's. And mm. so I'm like getting on the brakes, but then like trailing and not really building maximum brake pressure straight up and down. And so I'll like, maybe our corner speed will be the same, but I took, you know, 20 more feet to get to that slow corner, like to the slow point of the corner. And they had all that extra time that they came up on me because they could just break harder. Sure. So it's just a confidence thing. And I don't know. I think it's because like, I feel like if I come in too hot, you know, then I don't have it out. Like, I, I don't know. Like I've never ran off track in the like however many years I've been riding. And I think part of it is just because I'm a big baby when it comes to corner <laughs> injuries. <laughs> sure. So uh, that was one of the biggest things breaking essentially was a, was the biggest improvement that I made um when i started racing i went out, i did a pro school with a guy oliver gooden was a, a moto america or ama rider for a little while and uh i took his his coaching advice and i said this is what all i want to work on is braking so every time in turn one uh, we were at grand raceway going clockwise and he would come past me and break like 100 yards past it seemed like it wasn't that much yeah. but like 100 yards past where i was breaking i was like holy shit i didn't even know that was possible and so that day, uh, I learned how to get the rear tire off the ground. I had never done that purposely yep. um, one time at the track. And then once I found, uh, the first time it happened, my rear tire was off the ground. I didn't even realize it was off the ground until it came back down, right? Because it's an unweighted feeling. It's a feeling yep. of weakness. Um, It's just your front end goes down further and you feel less in the rear. So, and the front end, it could start to sway a little bit back and forth, but not too aggressively. And so once your rear tire off the, is off the ground, you're at a hundred percent max braking. You cannot break any more than that. Yeah. Or turn. Or turn, right? So if it's <laughs> if it's off the ground more than an inch or two, that's detrimental. Right. So I use that as a gauge, just like having my knee on the ground. And so and hard braking zones, my I my goal was to always get the rear tire off the ground just a small amount, just so I know I'm at max braking pressure. Now, yeah, it might make it a little unstable at corner entry, but trail off those brakes, set that rear tire down, and now you know you've maximized your braking point. 
So mm-hmm. I would for you go out with a friend, go out with a coach and say, look, I suck in turn one, please help me. And I want you to test <laughs> me for, you know, three sessions. See, push my breaking point, push, push me to get farther and farther. And, uh, you know, most of the time we go too slow. Like you said, in however many years, you never run off the track. That's a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, there's all there's more there. There's more to be found. So that's, yeah. just, just build up a little bit of confidence. Have someone show you the line. You know, I used to do that all the time with my friends. My, my buddy Al and I would go out and I said, I'm not going to pass you. But every time I feel like I, I could pass you, I'm going to show you a wheel. I'm going to back off. You're going to have the corner. And so we did this for a couple of laps, a couple of sessions, and he dropped two or three seconds at the track just because I'd show him a wheel, turn three, let him mm-hmm. and give him the corner. He's like, oh, I guess I can go harder in there. <laughs> Very visual thing for people to see yep. when you're on track and they and they can do that for you. Yep. Yeah. And we've, I mean, like I've worked on it or like we talk about doing it at turn one at the Ridge of like, because, or like the chicane at the Ridge, because it was, it was paved straight. Right. So now they put in the chicane. And so like, mm-hmm. if you just keep pushing that brake marker, the worst thing that's going to happen is now you miss the chicane and now you're just going straight on the pavement. There's like no repercussions for you missing it. Yeah. And then you get used to that feeling of like, yeah, hard braking, lifting the rear tire off the ground, you know? Um, so yeah, you just get used to it, you know, and there's been a couple of times where I feel like I've gotten there and like some tracks, like, I mean, like Chuck Waller Valley Raceway, like doesn't have any hard braking zones like that. Right. There's like maybe the back straight, like going counterclockwise, but there's not really anything like that, you know, turn like 13 at the Ridge where you're going down to the complex. Like there's just not that kind of stuff. So, you know, we all work on things depending on where we're at, but I've gotten, I've gotten better here and there. I told, when I told JP about my braking issue, when we worked, when we coached together, he actually was like, you know, I actually don't think that you really have a braking issue here. He's like, honestly, it's like how you're entering. That is the problem. He's like, you're trying to like point all of these corners that are supposed to be like, you know, earlier tip in with a slower tip in rate and then just carry the roll speed, you know, and you're trying to like go in there hot break and then like turn and get out. It's like, that's not how these turns work. And I was like, Oh my God. And then yeah. that just like was like a light bulb. And then every other track that I went to that year was like, you know, I improved like all these different places. Cause I was like understanding like, Oh, like, yeah. Some of these corners aren't just like go in super deep and like break really hard. Like, so yeah. you gotta learn how to like break it down, but yeah, it's about putting it all together. The more tracks you go to, you're like, Oh, turn three at this track is the same one as turn seven at that track. Mm-hmm. One, just put it all together. Yep. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, that's the biggest thing about Moto America is like daunting to me right now is that I never been to any other other tracks on the, this, on the season, you know, on the circuit. And so it's a lot of like, okay, like how fast can I learn a track? Right. Like I went to Laguna last year for the first time at Moto America, just because I was like, I did the Ridge round and I was like, I want to do another one. And then like yeah. put the whole team together and we like got a to work in a week and went down there. And I was like, well, this is a good example of like, if I can go to a racetrack and learn it in, you know, 30 minutes and then go like set some qualifying times, you know? Um, and it was definitely a challenge. You know, I played MotoGP for like the week prior, like just trying to yeah. learn which direction the track went, <laughs> yeah. um, which teaches you a lot, right? It doesn't give you the elevations and stuff. So you don't really get like the feeling of the racetrack, but you at least know like which turn is which and which direction it goes, you know, after mm-hmm. each turn. So yeah, I would um, recommend doing the simulators because it, it get, yeah, you don't get the G force element, but you do get, yeah. Uh, a lot of benefits and most of the tracks are laser scans. So you get all the bumps, all the bruises of the track, the curbings, um, mm-hmm. very valuable. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, so I just bought Forza 7 the other day. Like, I had to buy it used from GameStop because they don't even, like, make it anymore. But um, it has, like, it has a bunch of the tracks on the circuit for, like, cars. So it has, like, Daytona, Road Atlanta, Road America, like, Circuit of the Americas. Yeah, so it has a bunch of the tracks on the circuit. So You're using a simulator or you have a... a No, not yet. I mean, that's something that's on the list of, like, maybe I should purchase. But for now, I just play it on Xbox. I've got a VR setup. So like I could technically probably get that to work um somewhat, but sure. I have uh I just have the one monitor, uh, but I do have uh a full racing simulator. It doesn't have the the movement of the uh the whole rig, but it does have, you know, the force feedback wheel, the fan attack, and the V3 inverted pedals. So that's I'd ha- highly recommend it for any racer. I mean, like oh. you spend several thousand dollars a weekend anyways. This one, uh, you can spend it one time and have it all year round you know <laughs> so that way i was like this is such an investment i'd spend this in one weekend right yeah that's fair so i'm just doing a set of corsa competizione it's like the gt world's world champion uh esport game right now wow crazy so what's on your mind is there anything on your mind you want to talk about today uh i don't think so i'm like stoked to go to daytona the weather's looking pretty good um you know i just watched the super hooligans race from last year to like rewatch it and watching some onboard footage and you know just doing all that studying and then trying to get my work stuff taken care of so i can like leave and you know all that stuff like yeah basically where racing is my entire life so you know it is what it is but yeah and so um can you talk about the super hooligan class, uh, what those bikes are like, what the specs are and all that? <laughs> it's kind of like the wild west. Um, yeah. basically their rules are, it's, it's such a shit show, but, uh, <laughs> they, they basically the rule is like, they have to be less than 125 horsepower from the manufacturer. And then they have to have bars, no clip-ons. So full bars, full handlebars. Those are the two rules. And then this year they allowed, and they said, well, well, everybody has to be below 125 manufactured horsepower, except for the Pan American Harley or Pan American Harley, which makes 150 horsepower out of the box. But we're going to make them put on a restricted air box and it'll be equivalent to you guys. So basically, it's like I think there's like the list is so funny, like looking at it for Daytona. It's like a bunch of Pan Americas. And then it's like a bunch of KTM, like 890s. And then I think two or three uh, Hypermotards 950s, which is what I'm riding. And then um, like an SV1000 from like the early 2000s. Yeah. So it's like, and then there's like, I think like a couple odd ducks, you know, like Stefano is racing like an Energica electric bike. I heard that. And yeah. So (laughs) it's, it's kind of a hodgepodge. Like I basically tell everyone it's like the misfits of Moto America, you know, like. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun class. I think there's 34 entries sign up for Daytona. Damn. So, no, it's not the 200, like you mentioned, but it's still, is it a sprint race, like eight laps or 20 laps or something? Six laps. It's only six. But that's a long yeah. track, right? That's more than a two mile circuit with the road. Yeah. Track. It's like a two minute, it's like a two minute lap time. Yeah. So. It's closer to three miles, maybe. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it'll be like, you know, we spend all this time and effort and money to, for 12 minutes of fame, you know, like 12 minutes of a race. So you're like, woo. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, well, you get your money's worth anyway. 
something like that. <laughs> we talked about like I've talked about that before because like I have um, ribbons and like belt buckles that I won for horse shows, and you know we spent tens of thousands of dollars to be there for this hundred dollar buckle we could have bought for cheaper, you know. And yeah. you're like same thing with the like plastic trophies you get, you know. You're like, oh, here's my plastic trophy. I could have just like you know bought it myself, but it's the cool stories you have behind it, you know, and the lifetime memories. But yeah, so. Uh... I heard, I'm not a big golf fan, but I did hear that uh, the PGA has a new uh, payment structure for their, uh, for their athletes. If they participate in their events for the year, the full 20 events or so for their schedule, um, they get a minimum half a million dollars just to show up. And it's like, wouldn't it be nice one day if Moto America or some other racing organization had that in place. I mean, yeah, they do have a better purse than normal. It's getting better year by year, but it's still, it's a pay to play sport. We have to fork out tens of thousands of dollars just to show up and then yeah. not expect a single dollar in return. And now if you are a season entry, they do pay. Um, it's basically a discount. You get, you know, right. on your, on your stuff, but you got to pay, just for your canopy space, you know, it's, it's wild. You got to pay just to get in for your crew. It's like, mm-hmm. this is the top professional motorcycle racing in the company, in the country. And it would be nice if we didn't at least have to go broke or come from a super rich family to do it. Cause like, <laughs> yeah, I got my yeah. professional license eight years ago and I have yet to use it because I just couldn't afford to do it. And yeah. now, you know, making a career in the industry. Hopefully I'll be able to get back to it soon, but um, it's just so, such a daunting task to raise six figures just to compete. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that's the most discouraging thing for anyone, right. Is like you sit here and you say, well, like maybe like you see like all these talented people that don't have the money to even go race. Right. Like Rocco Landers just posted, like they just posted on their Instagram that like they don't have the funding to go do Daytona themselves. So they're not racing, even though they have a bike with like a tank and everything and they're like ready to go, but they didn't get funding. And so Rocco's just going with his gear, hoping that someone will let him ride or someone needs a rider, you know? Um, But it's just like, they've been around the industry for a while and like, well, maybe they're not doing everything they could to get sponsorship, but maybe they are. And it's like, there's just not the money in it. Like maybe it's a looming recession or, you know, maybe the sport is dying. Like, it's just it's weird to watch the evolution of how racing has changed like i watched a video from like early 2000s or like 90s and they they were racing at pacific raceways and it was like nick einash was like narr- yeah. like commentating it or whatever there was like all these like big name people you know like there and they're like sitting there with the grids and they've got their little like you know old bikes and like <laughs> sitting there with their little umbrellas like we don't do that at local club rounds anymore. And like, they did this whole like televised series about like bikes and winning and what this like, you know, and it was crazy. And you're like, where did that go? And they had like full video set up of like, they were videoing the whole track and like showing in the race and everything like in oh. this video production. Yeah. And I'm like, how did we go backwards on that? Of Like now we don't have any of that and no one even knows about it. And you know, we don't have any of that stuff. So like, why did that happen? Like, why did the club die so hard? even at the club level let alone at moto america level you know yeah. i mean moto america moto america hasn't been around that long but you know they've been trying to make it thing and i think it's getting better but i mean i don't i don't know like if the if the cost to a, cost like the pay to play is like bigger and bigger every year 
but you're getting more fans. Like, how is that, you know, like you're just hurting the racers and then you have less and less racers and then people aren't going to want to watch it. Yeah. I so. think it starts at the amateur level. If you did have TV coverage for WERA, CCS, AFM, you know, all these amateur organizations and others, like you could be able to see these kids progress from 12 year olds to, you know, until they're in the, the Twins Cup and they're 56 years old, you know, and it'd be really cool to see the amateur racing. Sometimes it's more interesting to me than the professional racers because you kind of know who might win at the pro races. At the amateur, it's a, it's a free for all. And you see <laughs> come out of the woodwork and you see him progress. And like now he's going to Italy. Like to see that progression is awesome. Um, but yeah, I thought for years, and I've talked about it on this podcast before, like all you need, you need a few cameras and you don't even need like $100,000 production cameras to do it. My cell phone is a 4K camera. That's better than any actual camera that I own. And so yeah. you, all you need to do is do this. <laughs> you just need to do this. And you know what? Yeah, Why yeah. can't we just have like some sort of program, computer program? It doesn't have to be AI. But just like follow the motorcycle, reset, mm -hmm. follow the motorcycle. And then you, it doesn't even have to be live to start out. I mean, start slow and work your way up. Like mm -hmm. do it in post-production. Don't even have to have a crew. Like, yeah, it'd be nice to be able to put it all together and stream it live. But the cheapest, yeah. edit it later, put it out a few days later. And you have mm -hmm. video for the for the fans. And then I think that would entice more people to to start watching the pro races. Um, I mean, we have bag toss on ESPN. Why is there not <laughs> racing? You, you're telling me there's not a place for amateur motorcycle racing when they got bag toss on ESPN? <laughs> no, like, I'm, like whatever you want to do, but this is such a cooler sport than bag toss. <laughs> you know, like, come on. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. That's great. Yeah, I mean, like, we've messed around. Um, I have a friend that, uh, I was trying to do some live stream on Twitch with GoPros and stuff. And our problem with that was like doing live footage on bikes too, and doing, you know, track side. Um, and the problem was most like our, our tracks don't always have the best internet. Yeah. And so you can't necessarily always live stream because it's like, it'll lose connection within like a couple minutes. Like, so, and it's, it, it's something that uh, he really wants to work on, but um, doesn't really have the time. Cause he's also a racer. So, yeah. We just need a film company to step up and, uh, or yeah. who has a technical background to step up and uh, start a film company. I mean, there's races at racetracks all around the country, all throughout the years, whether they're sports cars, motorcycles, you know, bagger racing league. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on. And there's, I think, a lot of potential for growth in this industry. Like, this is an opportunity. I'm giving you guys ideas. Please take it. Ideas. <laughs> run with it because I just, I just don't have time for it. I don't have the technical background to start a film company. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you could make a pretty big, good killing if you have all the equipment and you just travel around and like, you know, sell your services of like, I will set up all the stuff and all the gear and I will video all of it. And I'll put together all these promotional videos and whatever, or like just produce it for you. So you can add it to your website and have episodes of racing, you know, like, yeah, I, I feel like it would be, it would be a little bit of an investment up front, but then like, yeah, you could just travel around and do all the local stuff, you know? Yep. Just but, have a, a crew of camera guys. And uh, I hear they make really good money. Um, the guys who are mm -hmm. the film at $50 an hour or something like that, depending on the event. And sometimes I talked to one camera guy as, when I was working as a marshal and he's like, yeah, we do these 
a huge golf tournaments and could make several thousand dollars an event uh, for one of those. It's like work a few events a year. You're good. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So, well, I think most of the local clubs don't have that kind of money. though. Is the only problem, you know, it starts small and it'd be maybe even volunteer based or small pay, but um, it's got to put your time in all you need. So you don't even need all, to have all the money. You just have to have a good enough idea, be able to convey it to the right people to find the funding. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's just hard to find those people. <laughs> I was going to say, that's like the motto of anything you want to do in life. You just have to find the right people and just talk to the right you know, people and then it'll be good. Yeah. Where, where are these people? Yeah. Yeah. Calling all people that want to volunteer their time and spend <laughs> lots of time doing something for fun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Typically older retired people maybe who have the time and don't need the money. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So have you ever worked as a track marshal or a race official of any sort? Um, I, I've, no, I'm secretary for the Wimra racing organization. So I'm like okay. a voting e-board member. I do yeah. the contingency stuff yeah. for our club. Uh, so just dealing with some of the contingency stuff. Um, I've done marshalling for like track day stuff, but never the official like race day staff. So like Wimra requires that you do volunteer work in order to get your expert license and so oh, nice. you have to do yeah so you have to do a half a day or a corner a day corner working and then a day uh or like half a day or one of the air fence set up and tear down or something like that so they like we basically just make like all the novices do part of the work and mm -hmm. like help out with the labor um just so they get a better respect of like how the club operates and what goes into it and you know that kind of stuff so yeah i think it's a good thing to do that um in all the years that I raced, I was never asked or never even thought it was an opportunity for me to be on that side of things. Now, most of the yeah. time, I wanted to be on the bike anyways and didn't really want to right. be. But um, after I had a bad crash, I wasn't racing for a year or two, and um, I got into being a quarter marshal. And so since then, I've worked for, I think, 19 organizations as a track marshal, uh, anywhere from like Formula One, MotoGP, Moto America, IndyCar, US Pro, um bagger racing league ccs arma ama and so on and uh you get such a different perspective when you're seeing mm -hmm. the throw the bike down in the corner um similar people running off the track this guy you hear all the facts from the track it's like oh bike number 34 cross the blend line again we got to talk to him uh bike number 17 that's a new guy he stopped on the racetrack and turned seven what the hell is he doing <laughs> or like all these different yeah. things and it's like it just gives you such a, a good perspective. You see different lines people are taking. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, this guy, maybe I should take that line. See the guy getting left. He's like, he's not even close to the line. What is that guy doing? <laughs> um, yeah. And then you get a you get a really good sense of what's going on, who the fast guys are, and uh, which lines. Mm -hmm. But um, I like waving the flags and, and doing that, helping the riders out, but also running out there on a hot track and picking up a motorcycle. That's That's kind of fun, too. Oh, it's so crazy. Like I've, I've done like, I corner work for a track day company sometimes when like we, cause one of the tracks we have to do our own corners and I've seen some crazy shit where like, you know, some bike will be like catapulting through the air and you like oh, see yeah. all the bikes moving and it's just like gravel everywhere. And you're like trying to stay calm on the radio cause you're supposed to be cool. And you're like, right. uh, uh, <laughs> and you're like, oh, back down. and you're like, Oh my God, just like chill. <laughs> Yeah. And you like, hey, you're just like, I just have to. So you could tell like the seasoned track marshals versus the non when it's like they just respond with like bike down, bike on fire, 
rider up and okay you know like totally monotone and you're like yeah. you've been doing this a while haven't you yeah like and you look for that that calm steady voice on the radio too because you get the guy who's freaking out he's like okay what's happening i can't hear you you're screaming in the mic <laughs> like uh and then the other guy yeah, yeah he's like bikes on fire riders up um right we need to shut it down you know <laughs> yeah red flag everybody red flag yeah it's I'm like I've had both of those. I mean, I've tried to be calm on some stuff and like you're just yeah, you get your adrenaline going and you have to like monitor it, you know? For sure. But I got stuck. I crashed at Laguna in qualifying and I got like I could have ridden the bike back. It was fine. There's just gravel in the belly pan. So they like cleared out the gravel and then I asked them, like, hey, can I like re-enter? Like there's a couple minutes left, like I can go all the way around. And like the pit entrance or exit was like right there. But I was like, if I go reverse track, I'll probably get DQ'd. And I had a qualifying time that I needed mm-hmm. in that qualifying session. So I was like, I didn't want to get in trouble, but they knew nothing of what was happening. And so they were like, oh, we don't know. We can't get an answer. So you just got to wait here. And so I waited there for like a whole nother qualifying session. Uh-huh. And I was like, guys, I need to like go fix my bike. Like I need to get out of here. And then they were like, oh, the trailer's coming. And I'm like, is it though? And it like, I waited there for like a solid 30 minutes and then oh, they picked man. me up and then, they, and then they drove me all the way around the outside of the track. And then I was just like the walk of shame. Cause like I was sitting on the bike and like all the fans are like, Oh my God, what's happening? And I'm like, yeah. oh. uh, <laughs> try to hide. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just like sitting on my bike. Like, hi, I'm fine. Like, oh my goodness. I'm like, I'll be racing later. Watch me later. I don't oh, think, I don't think it's, it's an embarrassing thing. I get what you're saying, but like, I don't think there's any fan that's like, haha, you crashed. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like a, it's like a it's like a reputation thing for me, you know, like it's like I think I have a hard time, like, and this is something I've struggled with my with my racing career is like really battling the imposter syndrome and really making like and feeling like I belong and not feeling like I have a bad reputation because I I care too much about what people think about me. And so like, if I crash a bunch or I, you know, and like I do crash, then I feel like people are going to not take me seriously, even though they already don't, you know? And so like, it's just part of that. Like, I don't want to be known as a crasher because yeah. it hurts my little, my little ego, you know? And I'm like, that's not me. I'm not a crasher, but like, it happens, right? Like if you're not crashing, you're not trying. So like, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, it's like one of those things. So like, I don't want to be known for that, but. Well, I've never heard that you were a big crasher. I mean, think about this, like Mark Marquez or any of those top guys. I think Mark especially crashed over 30 times in a season and won the world championship. <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily matter. Now, if you're every weekend and you're not winning shit, maybe you should look at yourself. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. No, so he's usually crashing in practice, maybe qualifying and keeping it safe in the race. There's a time to do it and there's time to finish the race, right. bring it home. You might not be happy with 10th, but it doesn't, it doesn't help you to crash if you're shooting for ninth or something like that. Right. Yeah, I've, I think my I think my most painful crash was I crashed out of a win on the last lap with, like, four turns to go. Ah. And I didn't really feel like I, like, I didn't even know what happened when I did it. But, yeah, I was, like, leading the race, and I was like, I fucking got this. It's great. And then the rear just, like, let go, and I was like, what ah. the fuck? <laughs> and then I was just like, and then everybody like was like, dude, you were kicking ass, like you were winning, like whoa, blah, blah. And I was like, they were like, don't be sad, like you were kicking ass. And I was like, okay, but like I feel worse that I was in first. And they were like, but if you were in last and you crashed, we'd be like, Mallory, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'd yeah. be like, what were you doing? They'd be like, all right, that's fair. I guess that's fair. But like, you know, it feels worse. But 
you think it, yeah. something got in your head, like you started focusing on other things or you just made a mistake? Uh, I think my tire just was shot and I didn't really notice it until it was too late. Like, um, down at Chukwala, it's kind of a little bit of a tire game. And if you run the softs, like they just don't quite last the six laps. And so you got to kind of manage, manage the side of the tire. And I thought I was doing an okay job at that, but I also didn't realize that we were like setting PRs every lap. Like I was going faster than I'd ever gone, like every single lap. And, and I just like, I got a little, I got a little too excited on the throttle, I guess, but it was like the weirdest low side I've ever had. It just like let go and didn't even give me any warning. So oh. I think I was like, yeah, I think the tire was just shot and I just pushed it too hard, but sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, very good. I don't think I'll be going to Chuck Walla this year, but I know I'll be going to streets of Willow Springs uh, next month, actually in a couple of weeks, uh, Thunder Hill in California. And there's also, there's one more in California, um, Sonoma, Sonoma. So I'll be going there too. Pretty excited for that one. I hear um, oh. streets of Willow just got repaved. So I'm excited. Oh yeah. That one. That'll be cool. I haven't ever actually ridden. I haven't ridden Streets of Willow. Uh, I rode Horse Thief, right? That's like the little track at the same place. That's the one with tons uh, of elevation. That's a smaller one, but a lot of elevation. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, I did like an all female track day there with her track days. Okay. Um, did some coaching there. It was really fun. Yeah. Um, and then I've ridden Thunder Hill once back in 2017 when I first got my race bike. So I'd love to go back there. Like I keep meaning to go back there to go race AFM once or twice, you know, yeah. like I just want to want to like go experience it. Um, and then I've been to Button Willow once. Um, but yeah. yeah, I haven't really ventured down there much. So you're a West Coast girl from Olympia, right? Yeah. Very good. How's, yep. how's Washington treating you? Is it all gloom and doom with a lot of rain? yeah uh it's actually been really cold just like everybody everywhere else right now like it's just a, this cold snap and it's been raining off and on but like today was nice for most of the day and then it started pouring down rain so like yeah that's I don't know. It's, right <laughs> yeah it's been it's been hit or miss for sure so i don't it doesn't really bother me like it's funny because a lot of people talk about you know like the seasonal depression here in washington and like i've lived here my whole life and like it doesn't really affect me very much like i do get there there's like nicer places in the winter but like yeah typically those nicer places have like tornadoes <laughs> and earthquakes and softball size hail like <laughs> my mom moved to, my mom moved to texas and they had like a tornado and like softball size hail run through their city within like months of each other within moving down there oh, and i was man. like mm -hmm. no thanks nope yeah. yeah i'll take my rain my little drizzly rain over that <laughs> yeah you know i just moved 2,000 miles across the country to, for the sports car coaching job and uh vegas is different i thought it would be way warmer actually i was like i'm moving to the desert it's gonna be hot right uh and it's Not always snowed four times since i've been here yeah which i feel like is actually abnormal for them but yeah. um I do feel like, but it gets really freaking hot there in the summer. Like my aunt used to live down there and she said that like, you can't even own like a black car. Like yeah. nobody owns black cars down there because it just gets so hot yeah. that it's like not even worth it. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to the heat. I feel like uh, being acclimated to heat is a good thing because uh, uh, think about if you're used to the heat and you're racing and the next guy is not, who's going to be better <laughs> in that race situation? It's like suffer in training. So the race is easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure so i'm kind of looking forward to it you know i do uh hot yoga on purpose it's like 105 degrees they advertise um 
actually the last one I was I was at, I brought my little thermostat and it was 108 degrees. Um, and yeah. it kicks your ass. It's a good uh, good thing <laughs> for being on a bike. And it's also like, imagine if you're rolling down the straightaway on your on your rear end at 100 miles an hour, you need to be flexible. So I like the flexibility aspect of it. I feel like I've always been a good crasher because of that. Like, <laughs> crash well, I don't get injured as, as much. <laughs> sure. That's what they all say. Right. Until you hit a stationary object, I've been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They do say that yoga is really good for like riding for sure. Like the yeah. flexibility and the balance that you get from yoga is really beneficial. Yeah. The whole, uh, the first 45 minutes of this, of the session is all balance work. It's all one footed, um, one footed drills. You're just standing on one foot with your other foot straight out in front of you. trying to hold your foot. Uh, <laughs> it's difficult. Like I'm, I don't, yeah, like on a mat. I, eh. <laughs> yeah. <Standing laughs> I'm like terrible. Mat. My heart rate is sometimes 160s to 180s, just standing there in place, just balancing. <laughs> wow, it's it's uh it's a lot, but uh, yeah. looking at your uh your form that you filled out, uh, I wanted to talk about the super sport because that's uh that's coming up soon and that's really exciting. You know, super sport class is a meat grinder. It's gonna be the the best of the country, but also new people who have never raced in that class before, and we have yeah. the last guy to uh is it maybe i'm uh, let's see if i say this right the last guy to win the championship went to moto two so it's it's a high level of of riders in that class yeah yeah i mean well josh heron is still in moto america so um, i'm saying uh, uh sean yeah. Dilley, couple, two couple yeah. years ago yep yeah and richie yeah and richie's doing zero bike stuff now so yeah those guys are a whole nother whole nother animal for sure but uh it's it'll be a challenge uh i think so like i'm still racing my zx6 which is something that is not necessarily the most common platform anymore there with the super sport next gen rules of like the v2 and uh and the jixxer 750s it's a, like everybody switching to the 750s because like why wouldn't you so um my zx6 is a little bit down on power compared to those so we're gonna try to see what we can do on the engines try to make them a little bit better um That'll just be my excuse the full year of why I can't go faster. You know, my bike's too slow. Uh, no, is that, uh, what year is that, uh, Kawi? Uh, 2022. And is that the 636 or the 600? 636. Yeah. I got a little bit more power than the standard 599cc, but not as close yeah. as a 750. So you said you're going to do try to do a little bit of work to it uh, internally? Yeah. Yeah, we'll try to get a little bit of extra stuff out of it, but... I mean, yeah, you look at that and then like the V2s, right? The V2s make like 160 horsepower without any like restrictions. So you're like, man, it's just a lot more than what we make, you know? You're probably so, around I mean, 130s, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. We can get typically like 130 on like a full super sport or like not really a full super sport build, but a couple like, you know, head gasket kind of deal, you know, time degree of the cams, um, sure. get a couple extra horsepower out of it. Typically it's around that 130 mark. But, um yeah so i i mean we'll be a little underpowered um it's gonna be a learning experience this year i like have minimal expectations as far as performance other than like i want to qualify you know i haven't been to a lot of these places and so you know qualifying is going to be a challenge like it's not going to be easy right uh it is a the very talented group of people in that class and so we'll see what we can do there but gonna try to qualify i think i'm 
the only female probably registered for the full season in super sport. Um, so Patricia Fernandez is doing baggers and super hooligans. And I think Shalina is doing super hooligans. So there's a couple girls in there. Um, but there hasn't really been a lot of, I mean, Kayla Yakov is coming up through the ranks. She's killing it. I'm like, I'm glad that she's staying in twins for now until she comes <laughs> to super sport and just like kicks all of our butts, but maybe next year. Doing, yeah. I mean, probably. So I don't know what her plans are, but I know she's doing the twin stuff this year. And so, uh, you know, it's, I think the sport is changing a little bit, but it's still, you know, it's challenging regardless of who you are and what you're doing. Absolutely. So, and is there any, uh, any, I mean, I know you just mentioned a couple, but is there any females you're really looking up to in the world of motorsports? Um, yeah, I mean, Patricia Fernandez is, is killing it. Um, Caroline Olson was really my, was my role model. You know, she was she's from Norway. Um, she used to, she was here for a couple of years and she was kicking ass when she was here. And, you know, since then life's changed for her, she's kind of done her own family thing now. And, but she, she was kind of the real deal as well. And so I kind of look up to her. I just watched, um, Jesse Coombs's documentary that they made about her and mm, yeah. I really resonated with a lot of the stuff that they said and how she acted and what she said about you know life is is hard for me and I this is what I want to do and I want to go fast and all this stuff and I feel that on a whole nother level you know just like this life is hard and it is we want to have experiences we want to have and enjoy life so I feel like racing motorcycles is something that I really enjoy and want to get those experiences but yeah. Yeah. I think uh, for me, I like racing because of who it makes me turn into as a person. Like it's not a chess game where you can like learn the, the sport, learn the sport and you're done with it. Like that's always just a constant evolution. You're always learning your, whether it's marketing, whether it's, you know, finding sponsorship and being a professional, whether it's like honing your race craft or now coaching other people or like it just, there's so many aspects of it that you can dive into and get better at. And it's just a, a lifelong learning experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very like you learn something and then you go faster and then I have to relearn the thing that you already learned because now you're going faster than you were before. And yeah, it's ever changing. I mean, we're learning something every time we go out on a racetrack, you know? So yeah. it is, it is very stimulating in the sense of like being, you know, learning every day. And I would say, you know, when I first started, um, the things that you learn in novice group one of a track day session might not be the same techniques you use um, when you're an expert racer, professional racer, like your, your techniques evolve and mm -hmm. hold on to that. Because when I was first learning, I was like, these coaches lied to me. I'm like, well, <laughs> you have to learn how to walk before you can run before you can sprint mm -hmm. before, you know, all this stuff. So it's like, there's stages there's, and uh, yeah. And you might have to throw away some of the old information and learn something new and evolve your perspective. Yeah. Well, it's like when you learn, like when you go to the cascade, like your motorcycle safety course, and they tell you to never break and turn at the same time. They're like, yeah. do all your braking before you turn. And then you go to a trace track and they're like, actually, that was a lie. And you're like, well, okay. <laughs> well, it's like, we're just trying not to get you to fall down right now. We just want you to right. motorcycle. <laughs> Which I mean makes sense in like that perspective of like you don't want people like trying to trail break on the street, but like also it's like, you know, there are people that like learn that and then take that and they're like, but I can't break in the corner. That's not how it works. And you're like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> they lied to you. Yeah, 
Yeah, we we talk about it briefly in the in the car experience. I just say and trail off those brakes as you turn the wheel. You know, it's it's a very yeah. simple concept, like going from cars to bikes and back. It's like instead of lean angle, you have steering angle. Steering angle. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, Ken Hill. Ken Hill talks a lot about that, right? Like he loves to teach stuff in cars because it's like the same thing of like if you if you come into a corner in the wrong direction in a car and you like go to get on the throttle, it's gonna tell you that you got into it the wrong spot and started to get on the throttle in the wrong way because you're like gonna be fighting the car to make it do what you want. And he'll be like, no, watch this. If I go in here and like let off the steering wheel and start to apply the brakes, the car is gonna go in the direction we want it to go. And you're like. Oh my God, that's crazy. Turns out it goes where you want it to go. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't have to fight the car to tell it where I want to go. Like, no, that's not how you go fast. Yeah. I noticed a lot of people, they're mid corner. We have a a couple long left handers at Speed Vegas and they're, they're mid corner with tons of steering angle in the car and they're say 80% um, uh, steering traction. And now we are adding 30% of throttle where you're pushing those front tires, my, my man. So it's yeah, like, uh, do you hear those tires? They're trying to tell you. <laughs> I can hear them yelling at you. Stop it. Don't do that. <laughs> Stop. No. Yep. Yeah, my dad taught me like kind of a young age, like go-karts and stuff of like when the go-kart tires, like in grand, it's a little different because you don't really have as much grip in go-karts, but like, you know, like indoor go-kart trucks and you're like, your tires are screeching. And my dad's like, that's a no-go. That's bad. That means you're losing speed. Like you're losing time because your tires are sliding and you are not going in the direction you want to go. And I'm like, Oh, you mean I shouldn't be drifting around these turns and just like, <laughs> like, but it's fun. Like, yeah. why am I losing? <laughs> Every yeah. small slide is at least a tenth of loss. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah. you're uh, you're on two different machines. Do you think that'll be uh, difficult to comes with to grips with? I mean, uh, I assume at some of the events you might be doing both at the same event. So it's like. Mm-hmm. Oh, which bike am I on? What was my breaking point? Uh, and don't forget which bike you're on and which breaking point you're going. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, so like I rode both bikes at Chukwala last race round and I did seven races. Um, and honestly, it wasn't too difficult. Um, it was like physically demanding in a different way because I was in a different riding style position, you know, um, and I got some gnarly like calluses on my little girl hands. But um, uh, I don't. It is a little different, but the, you know, the, the super hooligans bike is just significantly like slower and just like a different, yeah, different riding style that it's like enough of a difference to not really confuse the two. Um, the only thing that I had last time was that like on my outlap, I had to remember like, oh, one has a clutch, like one doesn't have a blipper and one does. So yeah. like the hyper has a blipper and then I get on my cowie and I'm like, oh wait, hold on. I got to like pull the clutch in. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, wait, so that was like the only thing I think I really noticed was like, I had to mentally be like, oh yeah, I have to use the clutch on downshifts. Remember that. Gotcha. Is one not allowed for that class? Uh, Yeah, they don't allow blippers on the, because the ZX don't come stock with blippers. And so they don't allow, like they make an aftermarket one, but um, those bikes are still throttled by cable. And so the blipper is like an actuator that actually like grabs the, cable and they're really like not great and so they just one they just don't allow them and two they're really hard to get to work on those bikes so i gotcha i find it funny that you have a ducati shirt on but you're riding a kawasaki (laughs) i know i'm gonna have to get like a like a i don't even know a do a saki shirt or like a (laughs) just like do both like mix it up you know 
yeah. <laughs> a calcotti I don't know yeah there we go I like it you can start a trend probably <laughs> yeah just do like I don't know like half green half red I don't know it's gonna go very well it's gonna look too Christmassy so <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny too. I've had some conversations with some friends, you know, like the whole Ducati lifestyle is just different, you know, like Ducati manufacturer, like that bike just has, it's kind of like Harley's, right? Like those people are very passionate about the motorcycles they ride. They love the bikes that they have and they have them for a reason. And it's such a lifestyle. And then Mm -hmm. like you go to all the other manufacturers, you know, like Kawasaki people and like Honda and Yamaha, like, sure, they might like their bikes, but there's not like a whole group of people that are like, Ducati I love them you know like it's just like it's such a different group of people and so I'm still adapting to like the lifestyle of owning a Ducati and hanging out with Ducati people so it's like I gotta uh, work on my gotta work on my hand gestures and... it's, be- it's because it's red and they want the red fast bike that's all that's all they say when they get yeah. to the dealership give me the red one <laughs> yeah I don't like red which is like the funny part is like I'm not a big red fan but it's growing on me it's fine yeah. It's like uh, the Ferrari of motorcycles. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so uh, are you brand loyal? Because that's what it comes down to. It's like brand loyal of that specific Ducati brand, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, we, so like the Ducati stuff was like, the Ducati dealership wanted to sponsor if we were on a Ducati, right? So um, I've never had anything against Ducatis. I've liked them. I, when I tried a bunch of bikes before I bought my R1, I thought about buying a Pentagale because I loved the Arctic white, you know, it's so pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I just realized that, you know, like technology was a little bit farther behind and like, it was more of like a, a fancier, you know, it's like BMW, you know, you're paying for the name and it's going to be more expensive to maintain, more expensive to buy. And so when I bought, I bought the Yamaha cause it was like cheaper to buy and cheaper to maintain and yeah. had a little bit better technology. And so I never had anything against them. I just don't think it was within really my like price range or my like real like desire to ride, you know? Sure. So, I but I will that- say, I will say though, that I really want a hyper motard for like a street bike now. Like yeah. I'm like, this is so much fun. <laughs> for sure. Supermoto is a lot of fun or, or motard. That's, that's a lot of fun, to, you know, um, I am, I guess, kind of brand loyal when it comes to Kawasaki's. I've had, I think, five Kawasaki's so far. Um, and I was never a mainstream kind of guy. Um, I was never, like, a lot of people have the Hondas or Yamahas or um, I guess those are kind of the two biggest brands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was like, I want something different. I'm always different. Let's let's go to Kawasaki. Yeah. And, uh, first bike I had was a, a Ninja 250, and that just felt right. Um, mm-hmm. And at that time, I just... I was like, well, let's get another one. Let's get another one. <laughs> and I've only strayed one time and I had a Triumph for a little while, the Daytona 675R. And that was a great bike, but I didn't care for the the triple cylinder. Uh, and, I mean, it has its great characteristics. It was very nimble, very fast turning bike. I made up significant amount of time and corner entry and corner exit, but I didn't like how you had to short shift everything. You just have to ride it very differently than... Mm-hmm. Uh, line fours the japanese bikes where they're screaming at red line and that's where they make the most power uh it's yeah. not like the triumph it's very different so i just mm-hmm. care for the style so i went back to kawasaki yeah yeah and i mean i think i ended up like i was definitely a yamaha person forever just because i was like i bought an r6 my like 07 r6s when i first started riding and then i bought an r6 race bike like an 03 r6 and then i bought like an 06 r6 after that and then i bought an r1 
um, like brand new. I bought a 2016 R1 as like a street bike. And mm. so I just had Yamahas forever. And then they discontinued the R6. And I was like, well, they're discontinuing this. So like those are going to go really expensive because they're going to be unobtainium. And so uh, I ended up talking to a Kawasaki dealership and those bikes were just cheaper out of the gate anyway. Like they're just not as expensive. And so, uh, yeah, I ended up buying a Cowie after that. And like, it's been great to me so far. So now I have uh, four of them currently. Um, So I have one street bike that I'm trying to sell. And then I've got three race bike projects that are, well, one race bike that's done and two race bike projects. So just trying to put together the Moto America program. So. Heck yeah. And now you're rocking that KYT with the bison leathers. How are those treating you? Great. Yeah. KYT has taken such good care of me and they've been protecting my noggin now for two years. Um, nice. So they're, they're really lightweight and it's a really great, you know, company with really great customer service and um, same with bison, honestly. So bison I've been with for two years now. It's so my second year um, there. It's a family owned company. Um, and they come to all the race rounds themselves, bringing their kids, they bring their bunny and their little motor home and, um, Rob and Tasha are great and just really help out. And, you know, they got pit shirts as well. They do like custom shirts, custom, um, they do like custom jackets now at this point, um, custom gloves, all that stuff. And it's really cool just to be able to work with like an American company versus, you know, those like Pakistani companies that like send you emails on Instagram. Like you look like a motorbike rider, you know, yeah. so like. I just, it's been really great to work with them. I think it's still made overseas, but like you get to actually deal with, you know, people here that are very nice. So yeah. um, they've been great so far. And I've, I've crash tested my bison leathers more times than I care to admit at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It works. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It works. So very good. And uh, all those bison leathers are, they're custom suits with custom colors and everything. So that's a really unique thing that you can add uh, all different, types of uh, materials that you can do. I know Tasha and Robert very well and Carter. I know, I know they have a daughter. I'm not sure her name. Uh, Edith. Edith. Yeah, that's it. So uh, yeah, they got a pretty sweet motor home. Now the lackeys be tripping all over the country. Lackeys be tripping. Yep. <laughs> and I think Thumps, I can't remember if Thumps is the bunny's name. I'm pretty sure that's his name. He's pretty cool. I got to meet him for the first time at the check wall around last time. He was like such a little like diva bunny, you know, he was like laying in his little corner and he made me come to him to like pet him. And then I stopped yeah. petting him and I was like, come on out. And he was like, mm, and he like came out a little bit and I started petting him and he was like, come back to me and like made me <laughs> pet him like in the corner. He like wouldn't leave. And I was yeah. like, all right, I get it, dude. I get it. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, tell me about Moto Stein. Um, what, how are they for you? Uh, yeah. So Moto Stein is, um, they're, yeah, so they're actually a clothing company based out of Vegas, um, and they're also a small family-run business. Um, Eric and Maria are, um, they kind of started it basically because there wasn't a lot of women's clothing with motorcycles that it was, like, related, and so they do, like, crop tops with, like, motorcycles on them and, like, their logo, and they do, like, I think they just started branching into, like, some hat designs. Um, they're trying to get some equipment to do some more, like, custom-made t-shirts, uh, but they do they they have some really cute clothes there and so they're they're working on it but they're obviously a super small family-owned business as well so nothing for me there then mm, i mean you could probably rock a crop top <laughs> that's like a new I mean, thing right men men wear crop tops now. now oh yeah, yeah. how dare you assume my gender <laughs> okay sorry <laughs> anyone can wear crop tops now <laughs> 
No, it's all good. Um, and then, uh, are you using anything for like uh, relief or recovery, like a CBD or anything like that? Uh, yeah. So Sweet Life CBD is a company actually based out of Washington. Um, a lot of local family-owned businesses are really well. I think I target when I have, get support from people. Um, mm-hmm. But they're, I think they're based out of like Tanino, <clears throat> and their products are probably the best CBD products ever. Um, they've got like topical CBD stuff. They've got a recovery and relief pill. Um, and it's just like, it's amazing. Like you come home from a race weekend and you're just beat, you know, you're like your whole body hurts and like aches. And I'll take one of the like recovery, like pills before I go to bed. And I'm just like sleeping on a cloud all night. My muscles don't hurt. And I wake up the next morning and I'm like, wow, did I really, did I race all weekend? Like, I don't actually know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's super cool stuff. And so you're allowed to use CBD in Moto America, but not THC. Is that correct? I believe so. Um, yeah, there was a little bit of a question on like whether or not I could have my pop-up with Sweet Life CBD on it because they don't typically mm-hmm. like to promote like any sort of drug products and any other stuff. But I don't think I had enough TV coverage for it really to matter. So, <laughs> sure. and I think we should get into uh, like pharmacy sponsors, like get, uh, I don't know, Zoloft or something as a sponsor <laughs> because those I, I heard like 75% of all advertising on TV is pharmacy. So I'm like, I'm not advocating for people taking these drugs, but like, I know that's <laughs> funny, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, big pharma probably has tons of money that they, they would be able to like give to that. For sure. And then uh, uh, I see you have PCP Motorsports. Is that, that's that uh, PCP the drug or like, what is, what is that? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, not so much. Uh <laughs> They're based out of Sacramento. They're the dealership I got my Cowie from. Chad Sutton there is is a great is a great sales guy there, and uh, they hooked me up with a bike. They've actually hooked up a lot of people locally with bikes, so you'll see a lot of PCP Motorsports stickers. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where the name came from, to be honest. <laughs> sure. I didn't really um, ask that question. <laughs> and then, uh, what are you using for your fluids? Are you uh, what kind of oils or, or lubricants are you using? Uh, Motul, baby. Uh, oh, yeah. Really? They've been, they're such a good company. Like, I feel like a lot of things, one of the things that I desire in any sort of like company that sponsors me is just like their customer service and ability to like help out, you know? And so when I need it, cause like some people don't always understand like racers and how many things, you know, yesterday. Um, but yeah, they've, they've been really good to me as well. And all my bikes have been running great. So my current ZX6 has 7,500 track miles on it. Um, and nice. only, and only has a rebuilt top end, but everything in the bottom end is still stock. Um, so for what that's worth. <laughs> and do you, do you prefer having a bike that looks like it has headlights? Like that you, do you put those stickers well, on? Make it I do. Like I do. But like, I didn't like it. I was like, until I got a Cowie, I never, I thought I would never do that. And then I got a Cowie and then I like looked at it without the headlight stickers and I was like, mm, I don't like it. So <laughs> here we are. I have them, but it, I feel like it just looks better on those bikes, you know? And uh, I'll ask a totally noob question. Doesn't it hurt when you drag your knee? <laughs> yeah, you know, it gets a little hot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's actually funny. I flew in the airport with a brand new set of knee pucks and, uh, 
the TSA lady, like, you know, they flagged my bag. And every time I fly this one, I get flagged because I, I brought like a chain and then sprocket and like brake pads and like all sorts of random motorcycle shit. And uh, yeah, I had knee, pa- knee pucks. And I was like, she was like, what are these for? And I'm like, oh, like, you know, I ride motorcycles. I use them to like, you know, we drag our knee on the ground and they wear down. So you don't, it's like a feeler gauge for, and she just looked at me like she had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, all right, well. Yes. So. <laughs> and then, uh, what about elbow dragon? That's a new thing now, right? Dragging the elbow on the ground yeah. while on the motorcycle. I've done it. I've actually done it. I am five five, and I didn't think it was possible, but it totally is. You just have to be very careful. <laughs> what are some um, your tricks to uh, to get that low? Um. Yeah. So, I mean, like typical corner entry, right? You're like in the corner. Typically it's anything that's like a sweeping turn. So you have like a lot more time to like mess around a little bit. Um, and yeah, like you like kind of put your knee down, right? Like you typically would. And then I kind of just like lean forward and down. Cause like, if you get your lower body, like lower than you think you should. And then you kind of just like, I kind of tried to like hold the end of the bar a little bit, but I still kept my hand on the bar. Um, some people cheat. But yeah, it's basically just all in the upper body of like making sure to not like do a bunch of jarring to the bike while also like just kind of pushing your upper body over. Sure. But yeah. Do you think it's easier for rights or lefts because you got the throttle to still hold on to? Um, All of our sweeping turns are to the left. So I've only ever tried it on the left. Okay. But I feel like it'd probably be easier on the left than the right because yeah, the throttle yeah. thing is like... I'm just imagining like someone trying to like, you know, push their hand off the bar and then letting go and it's just be like, Yeep. yeah. <laughs> and really the only way to do that is by using that screwdriver grip, right? You're, you're using the screwdriver grip. Yeah. Like you're that. like rotating your hand. Yeah. Back and yep. forth. Mm-hmm. That gives you a better, uh, better feel in the corners. I feel like. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I don't know. I'm just looking through some of your pictures, seeing if I, if I can get some more information. <laughs> You got some great photos there. I see one at Lagoon wheel in the air. Yeah, that's a sweet picture. The Geico sign in the background. For Felt sure. like I was like, I was making, I was making it. You know, I'm like, I'm doing yeah. that thing. It looks like you're <laughs> sponsored by Geico. Yeah, right. If only. <laughs> um, and Dunlop, Pirelli, or Michelin, or Bridgestone, or th- throw in your own brand. <laughs> I am a sponsored Dunlop rider, so I'm Dunlop. All right, very good. <laughs> I I raced on Pirellis for a while um, when I was before I did Moto America, um, and then I basically switched because I wanted to do Moto America, and so at that point I kind of didn't really want to do the back and forth between the two brands, and so I've just stuck Dunlop, and they've taken really good care of me now. So they're just a different tire, different feel, different same. way of operating. Still work so the same. Know- You've been working with Ethan then? Uh, that- yeah, Southern. So yeah, Southern Pride Performance. Yeah, um, it's been so cool to see him like work his way into the motorsports industry and really just like make a presence for himself. And um, him and Aaron and Hardy stayed here at my house for the Ridge Round, um, nice. so they didn't have to like get an Airbnb or anything. So they got he got Hardy got to hang out with my dog, and then we got to hang out a bunch and. He's been really great for me mentally and, and physically. Like I've gone through some shit over the past two years in my personal life. And uh, most of the time he's like, if you need anything, just call me. And I'm like, I feel like you're not my therapist. So like, I shouldn't just be like calling you and be like, I'm sad, you know? And he's like, oh, it's fine. I'm like, okay. 
So he's he's really good about making sure that I'm like mentally in the right headspace to be racing because you know obviously it's that mental game we talked about. Yeah, and so he focuses. He's not technically a therapist, right? He focuses <laughs> on uh, physical performance and motorcycle uh, training to be fit on the bike. Yeah, yeah. So physical physical training, um, as well as um, some nutritional stuff, um, and also the like mental preparation and mental coaching to like get yourself to a position where you can like get yourself out of like negative, you know, feedback loops or, you know, that like self-doubt like stuff where you like think about like, Oh, I can't do this. How do you like retrain your mind to like get you in a place of like the flow state of riding a motorcycle. And like, so he does a lot of coaching for that too, of just like how to prepare mentally for a race as well. Very good. And so uh, what kind of stuff do you do to prepare to be going up to uh, and super sport, maybe 160, 160 miles an hour or so. Depending on the- <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Cause like, I think that a lot of people have like a structured way of like preparing and there's been, there's a lot of things that I've dabbled in to try to like work on. Uh, but I feel like I honestly do better just when I'm having fun and, you know, not overthinking it because the typical like woman brain turns on and then starts overthinking and then it's just all downhill from there. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, typically it's like, I need to be in a positive mindset going into the race round of feeling prepared. Like if I, if I pack early, you know, like I always try to get ready early enough. So if I remember anything, I can like throw it in my bag, like that kind of prep just does me better for my mental state. And then otherwise I'm like, I've tried to, you know, haven't been drinking as much, treating myself more like an athlete, um, really just doing those kinds of things. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't ever like I go to like a bar with my friends now or whatever. They'll be like, are you drinking? And I was like, no, I'm an athlete. And then they just look at me and like, and I'm like, what? Okay, it's hard to race motorcycles. I don't need no alcohol in my body beforehand. You know, we'll celebrate afterwards. So I'm not like, I don't cut it completely out because I still feel like life is, you know, life is made for enjoyment, but yeah. I don't need to be drinking all the time. So. Oh, sure. I mean, it's not gonna, I don't know that it helps you, right? It's not going to be. <laughs> Obviously, it'd be a detriment if you have it in your system, and that's not nobody's gonna do that anyways. But like, if you listen to a Colin Edwards type of character, he's like, "Yeah, one year I I rode my bicycle, my road bike all the time. I did hundreds and thousands of miles, and then um, I didn't do so well. And the next year, I just went to the bar and drank with my friends, and I did better than I ever did. So he's like, and I didn't do any of that? All that riding was for nothing. I was, and he said, you know, it puts you in the mindset." to to be better but so much of your riding is mental um mm-hmm. you can't be a big fat slob and do well that's not gonna work <laughs> if you're yeah close to, if you're close to fitness and you have a couple of drinks it's not gonna kill you mm-hmm. yeah i think there's it's a little give and take right like there's no like right or wrong answer and like you listen to some of those guys that race back in the day of like they'd race on saturday get hammered the night that night and then they would come back to the race track on Sunday and be like, you know, hung over shit and they'd still be fast, you know? And now they call, now they call us youngins, like, you know, soft. Cause they're like, you don't even drink on the weekends. What are you doing? You know? And you're like, it's not like it used to be, man. Like, right? but, it's uh, competitive. yeah. And so I feel like there, yeah, there is the give and take of like, it's, it is a lot of the mental game. Like you can do all the mental prep, you know, beforehand or like, Hey, you worked out seven days a week, but like, if you're not, mentally prepared or whatever and like in your flow state like you're just not gonna do good you know so and I'm definitely one of those people that has to like visit and like talk to people like while I'm there at the racetrack and so like 
I can talk to people like up until, you know, 10, 15 minutes before I go out or like right before I go out. Cause I'm just like, if I keep like do that and I'm like having fun, I do better than if I'm like sitting there, like focused with my headphones in going like, all right, we're going to get, we're going to get going. We're going to like, and I'm listening to my like theme song, you know? And it's like, no, it just doesn't work. I get all psyched out and then overthink and this is not good for me. And I feel like people have a, a misconception about motorcycle racers or, or racers of any motorsport. Um, they think that we're these crazy adrenaline seeking psychos who are like <laughs> heavy metal music and just going crazy and rocking out right before and like psyching ourselves up. Most of it's like, calm down, just get back to what's real, what's happening in front of you. And uh, I always used to use a lot of visualization techniques, just close your eyes and see what you're going to be seeing on the track, go through the whole lap. Yep. Uh, yeah. Controls like, Apply the brakes, um, apply the throttle, brake here, look for your tur turning point, your reference point, your apex and all that stuff. Are you doing some things like that? Oh, I have in the past, yeah, where I do like a mental lap before I go out. Um, it's not regimented. I don't really do it all the time. Um, it just really depends on what I'm what I'm focusing on. Uh, when I did Moto America last year, I tried to do one before I got on the bike to go out. Um, I'd do like a mental lap on the bike where I'd like close my eyes and like pretend like I was setting up for corners. Yeah, and use my brake and my you know, throttle and like pretend like I was shifting. And um, I, I couldn't tell you that like it helps or doesn't help, you know, but yeah, I mean, when we're out on the racetrack, like we're not like freaking out at our helmets, it, like more or less, like in my brain, I'm always like, I got this, you're fine. Like, it's okay. Like chill, like just be smart. You know, like that's a lot of things that go on in my head when I'm like racing is just like, Hey, you got this. Like, it's okay. Like wait for your opening. Don't rush. Like all that stuff is what's happening in my brain. Although I will say I do listen to like five finger death punch before I go out sometimes. Sure. I mean, yeah, that's my <laughs> go is more, more of the metal music rock stuff. But my point is yeah. like, we're not these crazy adrenaline seeking. Uh, <sighs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In reality, you have to be calm so you can soak in all the information. If we were yeah. freaking out in our helmet, we would make rash decisions. We would chop the throttle. We would stab the brakes and, mm -hmm. uh, be on the ground in a heartbeat yep yeah exactly and like when i'm doing the car coach and the people who are the most excited i have to watch out for the most because <laughs> in the right frame of mind and there's this we have a long fast uh right hand sweeper in turn six and this guy was like i'm gonna get on it hard i'm gonna step on that throttle I'm like no you're not no <laughs> and like i was like okay break let the throttle break 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 you missed your breaking point by almost 100 feet there you got to break way sooner and uh and he's like sorry i got carried away I'm like i know i saw that i know <laughs> i'm here too i can see it yep so uh yeah it's uh it's a fun sport um i love it and so which rounds are you at i know the schedule is a little different this year they're not doing every single round every single class right it's a little uh a little mixed yeah, so Super Sport is the full season. So Super Sport is all nine rounds. Um, Daytona isn't part of the series, but they still do it. It's still Moto America's event. Um, so Super Sport will be the nine rounds. Um, and then Super Hooligans is only four rounds, and it's two races per round. So it's um, Daytona, and then Ridge, Laguna, and Coda. So it'll be so those four rounds. Too. Up mm -hmm. to three races per event for certain rounds? Yes, yeah, so I think Super Sport is still two races per event as well. Okay. So there so could be a possibility four. that I'll have four races a weekend. 
So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've been trying to work on fitness a bunch and just working on cardio and endurance. And so I think it's, you know, I've been the best shape I've been in, in my probably my entire life besides being a child, but uh, still a long ways to go. I would always focus on cardio core and legs. Those are your, your yeah. biggest uh, assets because I noticed sometimes I would do six races a weekend for Wera, uh, for amateur expert racing. And uh, I would race in six different classes. So both 600s, both 750s, both 1000s on a stock 600. So you can always <laughs> up in higher classes, wow. but you can't yeah. race it down. And yeah. so some days we'd have double headers. So there's six on Saturday, six on Sunday. That's a lot of races. And Holy so cow. eight lap sprint races, you're doing a lot of laps, plus warm up and practice and all that. Mm -hmm. So I found by the end of the, the days, each day, I would get so exhausted, I couldn't hang onto the bike anymore. And I found by the end of the day, I was actually going faster and with less effort than I was at the beginning of the day because I was too tense. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, light bulb moment. This is actually how you're supposed to ride the bike. And <laughs> if you're not hanging on with a death grip, it's easier. Mm -hmm. you're better. You got to grip the tank in a different way with your legs and not fight the bike and hold on so hard with your arms. So I think yeah. actually doing more racing is beneficial if you can have your mental stamina still sharp. You're not, um, you're not fighting the bike as much. And I think you might notice that. I hope you, as you go on and just relax more as you get, as you uh, go down that path. Yeah, for sure. So uh, where can people find you online? Where are you uh, out there on the internet? Uh, yeah. So Instagram, Mal Dobbs, one, two, six, uh, was my old race number, but I had to change it for Moto America kind of worked out. Cause like one, two is three. So now I'm 36, but, All uh, right. yeah, so I'm on, I'm on Facebook, uh, or, and Instagram, Instagram has my, all my links on my link tree. Um, uh, but I'm on Facebook. Uh, I just started a Patreon account. I'm going to start trying to filter some cool behind the scenes stuff while I'm out at Moto America, you know, whenever we're out and about just kind of sharing some blurbs about what it's like to be a, a Moto America racer. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of trying to share that journey with people so they can kind of be more involved. Uh, so that just started up. I think that's also Mal Dobbs 36. Um, I think that's really it. I try to stick to just Instagram and Facebook mostly. And then like I said, the Patreon thing's new. Uh, I've got a merchandise website, uh, that has some stuff on it. I'm going to try to switch that to something different here soon, but that's still up and live, but yeah. Are you a YouTube video creator? Do you have any videos out there? Uh, I do have some race footage, some onboard racing at Chukwala and the Ridge and Pacific, I think, and even some Portland stuff. Uh, I used to just put my GoPro on my bike and just record, you know, races and put them on there. So I got most of that. I have one, like, time lapse of me rebuilding my motorcycle from the last time I obliterated it. Um, so that was pretty cool. But it was it ended up being a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. And then, like, I yeah. still didn't even, like, do the whole thing in the video because it was just, like, so much stuff. But <laughs> Uh, yeah. I try to do that. I got to get a new GoPro. I don't, I haven't had the best luck with them recently. They've like the newer ones have been kind of finicky. So yeah, there's like but, GoPro number 74. It seems like out now. Basically. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, there's a mini and a max and a, a black. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like, it's, there's just, and so I might try to switch to like an Insta 360 or something. People have been saying really good stuff about those. So nice. We'll see. And, uh, are you like Josh Heron with the only fans? <laughs> no <laughs> we 
we joke about it a lot. We're like, people are always like, oh, if you're tired of being broke, you just started OnlyFans. But <laughs> I, I more power to anyone who does that. I have nothing against them, but it's not for me. Um, sure. That whole reputation thing of like, I want to be known, like, I want my name to be followed by like, that Mallard girl, she's so fucking fast, right? Like, I want yeah. that to be the first thing, not like, oh, she's been around. Oh, she's really <laughs> hot. Like, oh, she's, you know, like, she has an OnlyFans. Like, I just don't want any of those things. I just want Mallory and Fast in the same sentence to be, well, like, what I'm known as. <laughs> you know uh, Jason Farrell and Jessica Caprizi? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jessica yeah. has an OnlyFans. It's all racing-related. There's nothing dirty on okay. it that I, uh, nice. other than her hands dirty. So I'm just saying <laughs> you can, you can okay. do clean stuff on there too i wasn't insinuating you know <laughs> that's fair i do think that like it is interesting that like as things progress right it's like only fans has been known for being only fans for a while and yeah. then like twitch like twitch streams used to be like just video games and now twitch streams are kind of like soft porn videos sometimes like it's yeah. it's a very weird world we live in yeah there's a, there's some weird videos on it's huh yeah <laughs> yeah there's some weird <laughs> stuff on twitch these days so I might start trying to do some more like Twitch streaming stuff. I haven't really played around with it a bunch, but uh, like I said, I used to do that a lot when I was uh, playing in college and I still have the Twitch channel. And so I'm like, well, I can make that into like some more racing stuff or some video game stuff for people that do racing or whatever. I don't know. So yeah, I've kind of dabbled in that thought. Yeah. Whenever you're doing your, uh, your warm up laps or your practice sessions, uh, learning the tracks, turn on Twitch. It doesn't cost anything. It's just extra. Mm -hmm. It's just, Learning yep. how to talk in front of a camera and practicing. Oh, yeah. And uh, yep. who knows, maybe you get another follower or two. Yeah, I do. I normally do like I'll play like kitchen, kitchen simulator or like we played Fall Guys for a while with my, my buddies. Phasmophobia. Yeah. Like we just play some fun games so I can just sit and bullshit with people and then just like talk and narrate and be funny because yeah. apparently I'm OK at that. So it's fun. Yeah. I don't know. I've got I made some friends in it, but yeah. And so it sounds like uh, this year you're probably going to kick some ass at the Ridge since you have a bunch of uh, laps around there. Hopefully, yeah. Um, I got I got like two seconds faster even after the Moto America round there because I was like still going and doing the local rounds. And so uh, I think the fastest time I ran when I was there was like a 49 or a 48 okay. um, when I was at Moto America. And then I ran like a 47 something at the end of last season just doing our club events. So I'm hoping that that keeps going and then we can keep, cause I think like Heron was running like 45s, I think last year. So we're, we're getting closer, closer. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, they should really focus on their TV coverage, not to embarrass or, or throw shade on anybody, but I think they should focus some of their television on, look, there's 45 people who showed up for this event. We only take mm -hmm. two. What happened to the, those other people who are, seasoned professional racers who race full yeah. seasons and still didn't make the cut and i mean you're you're having grown men and women into tears because they just traveled across the whole country spent all this money and didn't make the the final event so i think it's important to highlight that it's a very yeah. competitive field and not mm -hmm. every cut even though they paid for their entry yep yeah i mean that like all their video coverage is normally like the top three people and i know that that's super interesting but like there is also other people in the race that are also racing right like yeah. you can focus on other races that are happening like we don't need to just focus on the top people like i get it but it's frustrating sometimes you know 
I think um, they could also make probably three races, three different edits on every race. They could do like the front, like the normal race that they do, which is mainly focusing on the podium. They could probably do like a mid-pack race. They could probably do a back marker race. Oh, look, Joey yeah. Below lap for the third time. He's trying to, <laughs> he just hit his personal fastest lap. Good job, Joey Baloney. Great job. <laughs> you know, I think you could, yeah. there's so yeah. many storylines going on. Um, mm -hmm. Cool to watch some of the higher series that have, you can switch camera modes. You can watch this footage. You can watch, you know, different cameras, the helicopter camera and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot more budget, but it is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so are you a, a huge race fan out of your own racing? Do you follow any racing series like Formula One or MotoGP, World Superbike, IndyCar? What do you watch in your spare time? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like I watch a little bit of like MotoGP and World Superbike. Uh, I don't really follow it a ton. Uh, I feel like sometimes like I get so tired, like not tired of, but like going to the racetrack, doing all the race stuff, planning all of my own race stuff. Sometimes when I come home and I have nothing to do, I'm just going to watch some like dumb Netflix series that like I can turn my brain off and just like watch something, you know, versus sure. like, oh, I want to watch more motorcycle racing, even though I didn't get enough of it this weekend. Like there are certain times where I'm just like, I don't want to think about motorcycles for like an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay to switch off and, and do something different. Um, yeah. I think uh, there was one guy. It was, uh, I can see his face. A British dude, Cal Crutchlow. He said in his off season, he doesn't really ride bikes. He doesn't, he tries to like, <laughs> to like deload and offload all that stuff. And look, he's a MotoGP racer. Yeah. Uh, and so it's good to have a balance. It's, it's not always great to be obsessed all the time you might get burnt out you might uh start hating it mm -hmm. it's good to have a, a contrast i think yeah for sure and uh you know i wanted to mention there is no passion to be found in settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living <laughs> heck yeah <laughs> what do you think about that just being inspirational, you know, I'm just trying to motivate people. No, Normally, actually, I'm trying to motivate myself because I went going through some shit. And so therefore it makes me feel better if I can like try to motivate myself. <laughs> no, I like it. I like the quotes. I was uh, texting this girl the other day and she, and she's like, you're just like a book of quotes, aren't you? I'm like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> did you use my quote on her? How did it work? No, I didn't. I, but I, I might, <laughs> maybe I'll send that to her later. <laughs> okay. Let me know. I guess. <laughs> I will. For sure. Um, yeah, I was just scanning through some of the Facebook photos, trying to get some more information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good riding photos. It looks good on there. So are, do you like the the Ducati or the Cowie better? I mean, it's hard to pick. They're, they're just so different. Yeah, they're very different. Um, I mean, it is fun and invigorating to be like throwing in a bike that has, you know, like a 35 inch like seat height and like just sit there and just like throw it into a turn and then just like drag your shifter and your toe and you're just like and you're like oh my god this is fun it's just <laughs> different you know and then just like giving it like the full throttle and like the low-end grunt of like the hyper is just so different than the cowie so uh it was funny i actually like i have the um uh, 
Robert at Cali Photography down there at, at Chukwala got it on video, but I finally got the rear tire to slide out. Like I hadn't done it all weekend. Like I've been trying to kind of like push it, you know, and I finally like step it out and he gets it on like slow-mo video, you know, and it's all aggressive because it like slid out and then the bars are like this. And like, <laughs> it was, it was a pretty cool video. And I was like, so stoked that I finally got the rear tire to slide out. I came up to my crew chief and I was like, did you see that? I finally got the rear to slide out. And he's like, I'm so proud. Like, yeah. And so what do you say would be the benefit of the rear stepping out like that? Does it help you get the bike turned on corner entry? No, no. no. It just made me feel like I was pushing the limits more, you know, like it was like okay. there was the edge of my like tire traction, you know? Yep. So no, there was no benefit. It wasn't good. It was just a matter of like, I was going fast enough and pushing hard enough to actually test the limit, you right. know? Yeah. So. Fast and the Furious has not done great for teaching people what's fast around a racetrack, right? <laughs> Let's go drifting, right? Drifting is faster, right? And well, yeah, no, mm, no, no, it is not. <laughs> Did you see that they came out with a new one of those? Fast, fast, fast Furious 34? X. Yeah, <laughs> Fast X is like coming out this summer. <laughs> uh, I don't think I've seen the last two or three of them, to be honest. Me neither. And someone said the last one they like launched, launched a, a car into space. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so like, it just gets weirder and weirder every time. I mean, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I just, uh, there's so many of them. There's so many movies out. Everybody's like, oh, you should watch this series. You should watch this one. It's like, there's too much. Yep. I can't, so I can't yeah. soak it up. Nope. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm like, oh, I'll watch a couple of things here and there. Like, I watched the new Ant-Man with my friends the other day. And uh, it was a pretty freaking weird movie, too. <laughs> but, yeah. I did just watch the other day. It was uh, The Doctor, The Kentucky Kid, and The... The Texas Tornado, and uh, nice. And uh, that was from a few years ago. That was like two thousand four, mm -hmm. five time frame. But um, yeah, it was cool to to see all that again. It's all about Valentino and and, and Nikki, <laughs> and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they just came out with a Mark Marquez one too, right? Like they just came out with a another documentary on him or something. Yeah, and then F one came out with another Drive to Survive. Yep. Uh, everybody's always like, did you see the last Formula One race? And they're talking about Drive to Survive. I'm like, no, I watched the race. I didn't see the series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's doing, doing a really good thing for the for motorsports in America. It's it's booming now. Um, events are sold out. Um, and it's now $900 for the Miami Grand Prix for a general admission ticket for the three Holy days. Cow. To get in with no seat. I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean... Um, yeah, it was the same way with same way in Vegas, right? Like I looked at the Vegas tickets too, and it was like standing general admission was like I sold out and like nine hundred dollars a ticket or whatever, a thousand bucks. Twenty seven thousand dollars for a three day pass for VIP at Miami last year. That's a price of a freaking car. That's crazy. And they they had the fake marina, you know, with the water that didn't exist for for all the yachts. Yeah. <laughs> I guess That's they didn't crazy. get permits in time or something like that. <laughs> that makes sense. But uh, yeah, we got what is it? Three Formula One events now in the states. We got Miami, Coda, and uh, Vegas. So Vegas, yeah. Vegas. F one's coming to Vegas. I just posted something about they're doing the construction not too far from my house. Although I probably won't work the event because uh, I'll be working at uh, Speed Vegas, and there's going to be so many people in town that are motorsports related. Probably make a killing and have, and be totally sold out. Oh, off. for sure. Yeah, so, for sure. Very good. 
Well, we're coming up to two hours. That's about an hour and 59 minutes so far. Is there anything else on your mind you wanted to mention before we sign off? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I'm going to share the heck out of this. And then, I mean, mainly if anybody's watching it past the one hour mark or whatever, just listen to us ramble on. But uh, always looking for support for the race program, looking to support small businesses, really just advertise for them and just kind of help support my program, make my dreams come true is always helpful. But, you know, it's a hard it's a hard life to be a racer, but it's also really fun. And this is my dream. So here we are. But I really appreciate the time and uh, doing this with you. It's a lot of fun. Very good. Well, I'll get this edited and posted. It won't be too long before it's out there on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and all the Spotify music apps, uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, all that stuff. So thanks so much for coming on and talking to me for two hours. And uh, I'll see you at the racetrack. Cool. Thanks, Eric. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye.